Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Today we're going to dive into the pool of players born in 2002 or later and thus eligible for next year's U-17 World Cup. It's a group with some big names, George Bello, Gianluca Busio, and Giovanni Reina, and a lot of guys you've never heard of. Now is a good time to discuss the pool because the Nike International Friendlies are coming up either at the end of the month or the beginning of December, and those will be a good chance to see the boys play, and we thought we'd try to get oriented before the roster is announced. Uh, we're doing a special experiment today. We've got three people on the call. First is regular guest Joey Anthone. The two of us did an episode similar to this on the U-20s in the summer. Joey, what's up, man? How's Omaha? Uh, Omaha's cold, uh, but uh, we're surviving and uh, I think ready for the next four months of bitter, bitter freezing hell. Yeah, same, same up here in Minneapolis. Good to have you back. Thank you for making the time. And we have a new guest, Matt Hartman. You probably haven't heard of him, but he knows a lot about the U.S. Youth National Team player pool. He's not a celebrity like Joey, but he brings a lot of value. You live in New York, right, Matt? Yeah, that's correct. Well, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure to be here, Adam. Thanks for having me on. Believe it or not, I don't come across uh, too many people in my everyday life who like who like talking USU 17s, so it's going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are a small slice of the population, to put it mildly. <laughs> I'm thinking we should start big picture and talk about how this age group measures up to past U17 cycles, particularly the last one, which, if you'll remember, included Josh Sargent, Tim Weah, Chris Durkin, Andrew Carlton, all of whom played in the to the quarterfinals of the U17 World Cup and lost to England. But there were other players in that age group who didn't make it on that squad, like Ulianez, uh, Alex Mendez and Richard Ledesma, to name a few. So compared to that last cycle, Joey, you go first. How good is this? How does this one measure up? Well, we're still a ways out from the World Cup, um, the U-17 World Cup um, coming up. So it's hard to tell you kind of a, uh, an assessment of exactly where this pool stands up with the with the roster from the World Cup at the, at the last World, World Cup cycle. So Right. It's difficult to tell you whether they're better or worse. Um, but like you, you mentioned in the outset, there are some promising players. Um, but we were talking off air before we started. Just looking back at that uh, that roster, there's there's depth, um, you know, almost at every position um, who, who have already started to contribute at the U20 level, which is not often the case where you see U17s jump up right to the U20s and become, you know, immediate performers at that level. So I do think the last cycle in particular was was pretty strong. Um, but even before that, the, the cycle before that, that was the group with Pulisic and, um, uh, you know, guys like McKinney were left off that roster, but there was, there were some promising players in that pool as well. Uh, but a lot of those guys didn't pan out. A few of them did obviously, but uh, a lot of them didn't. So just when you kind of stack up, you know, looking long-term at, at the, uh, 2017 U17 cycle, the Sergeant Wea, Dirk and Carlton guys, um, I think that was one of the, uh, the more remarkable, uh, uh, squads uh in the last uh you know five ten years so it's 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 a tough measuring stick but um like you said there's some good players um you know in, in the pool coming up all right what do you think matt 
yeah, I'd agree. Uh, I think the O2s and O3s that are going to be a part of this cycle on the whole are as deep as any age group we've ever had in U.S. soccer. That being said, uh, I don't think this U17 group will impact the senior team the same way that the current U20 cycle has. That's due in part to the lack of high-end talent, but more so to the fact that the best players in this group play lower impact positions than, say, Sargent or Tyler Adams. Uh, so we're going to get, I think, a couple of very good fullbacks out of this cycle and potentially a goal goalkeeper for the next 10 years. But mm-hmm. I don't see as many players coming out of this cycle as the previous two. Yeah, well, what do you let, let me expand the question a little bit. What do you guys think of the overall idea that uh, the Development Academy, you know, it's it's still relatively young and we're just starting to get our first classes that have come up fully in it. And what do you think of the idea that that is, has made a marked improvement in the quality of, of these classes of players, you know, these age groups? Yeah, let me take that. I do think that the DA has definitely, um, has definitely been able to produce a better player. You and uh, Greg have talked about that at length, but um, just with the increased amount of um, uh, teams and, and squads out there uh, and playing against better players overall, there's just more data out there for coaches to assess and scout. Um, you know, you're still going to run into the same problems with identification and, you know, some nepotism in our system right now. But um, overall, uh, the fact that they closed Bradenton and the residency uh, down in Florida really was a, an overall positive for this U17 group. Um, it was extremely tough for guys like Mendez or Yanez to break into that core group, even if you argued, and, and I would say correctly argued that those two in particular maybe should have been included in the U- U17 World Cup roster last time. Um, they just couldn't bust into that core group because they weren't a part of the residency. Um, and guys like Ledesma, who kind of came off the radar, um, they were not even getting looks because, I mean, you have your solid core base of uh, U17 guys that live down in Florida. Um, it was tough for you know an up-and-coming player to break into that group. It was it was nearly impossible. Uh, so the fact that 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 structure is uh, closed, I think, does add more value. Of you know, you can take players that are playing well in the last couple months, or you can take a flyer on a guy for a couple camps. You're not beholden to a certain set of players. Yeah, Matt, you got any thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, closing Bradenton, Bradenton was, I thought, was a major, you know, step forward. Not, not just because uh, the player we have more options in the player pool in terms of, you know, our coaches are forced to now look at more players, but also because, you know, our youth players now have greater opportunities to get integrated into professional environments than any group before them has ever had. Mm-hmm. And that's because, you know, they're constantly around professional players, uh, our best players. That is and not stuck in uh, Bradenton, you know, with, with our uh, U19 coach. As somebody who's watched uh, way too much uh, DA soccer over the last couple of years, <laughs> I think you'd have to be blind uh, to look at the DA today and not see a market improvement from where the DA was just a few years ago. The overall quality of play uh, is just better. Uh, and that hasn't necessarily been across the board, <laughs> the MLS teams are kind of pulling away uh, more so than they ever have in terms of uh, the quality that they show on the field. But I think that the DA is in a good, is in a good place uh, and I'm looking forward to seeing it continue to grow. Okay. Those are good answers, guys. Let's, um, let's get into the player pool and we're going to, we got a ton of good questions on Twitter this evening 
and we're going to answer a lot of them. Some of them are going to sort of apply directly to certain players and certain position groups. So we'll try to hit as many of those as we can as we go, and then we'll hit any that are left over. We'll hit those at the end. I'd like to say one thing before we get going here, and let me say that for any player who's missed a call-up, or even more for any player we don't mention today, don't be discouraged. Alex Mendez didn't make the U-17 World Cup roster last cycle, and now he's one of the best U-20s. Joey just mentioned him. Nobody had heard of Ledesma in 2017, and now he's probably signing with PSV Eindhoven. There are lots of examples of this. McKenny, Mihailovic, Reggie Cannon, Andrea Novakovic. U-17 rosters are a good way to think about the player pool, but they are by no means the end-all, be-all. Just thought I'd get that disclaimer out there. Let's start at the back of the pitch with the goalkeepers. Matt, why don't you start? Who's the goalkeeper you mentioned who might be the goalkeeper for the next 10 years and why? It's Damian Loss, uh, the goalkeeper out of the Chicago Fire Academy. He's just so good. Like He's the best all-around goalkeeping prospect that we've had at least since Stefan and probably the most pro-ready keeper we've had at the U-17 level since the 90s. Uh, his his game is just uh, he doesn't have any holes in his game, which is weird for to say about a sixteen uh, year old goalkeeper. But he he should probably be the captain of this team. Uh, he's a a big personality and he's a big player. And uh, this U seventeen team has had some games so far that could have been pretty lopsided if he wasn't in net. Have you what do you think of him, Joey? Yeah, I agree. I mean, even even after the uh, the first real real look at him, I got with uh, with him uh, during the Nike friendlies last year. I thought he looked like a twenty year old playing against fifteen year olds. He just looks a lot older than some of the other players. And for for goalkeepers at this level, uh, you know, sometimes you see them bigger than than their counterparts. But typically, uh, when it turn when it comes to professional uh, opportunities or professional um, you know, uh, ranks, it, it, they don't seem to be on the same level as some of the guys getting, uh, you know, mentions or looks over in Europe. But I think that loss has been somebody that's been targeted, uh, by some pretty, uh, well-known scouts to be a, a guy that's on the move, a guy that's uh, capable of climbing the ranks quickly as a, as a young goalkeeper, um, because of his size. And because like you said, he's got very, very limited, uh, uh, you know, holes in his game. So, so I, yeah, obviously I think that he's the guy that, um, uh, the U.S. is going to count on as their number one. I think he's a guy that the Chicago Fire has been looking to sign up for a few years, too. Um, I just don't think that he's interested in staying around in, in America. So I think he could use something like the Nike Friendlies, again, like so many players before him, uh, as a springboard to, uh, to to get looks from abroad, to get looks from uh, clubs clubs in Europe specifically. So I just remember he he absolutely stood on his head at the Nike Friendlies last year when we were not we weren't we didn't look very good as a team the U S U 17s, but like, but like you said, Matt, he was, uh, that Brazil game, the England game. And I think the Netherlands game, two of, two of the three, which we lost, if I remember correctly, yeah. he, yeah. he was, uh, those games could have been super ugly if he wasn't, uh, an elite shot stopper already. He's pretty much been the number one for the U for this pool ever since its inception. I think, uh, he's been in 16 camps by my count. And the next nearest goalkeeper called in was in seven. So I mean, he's been he's been the guy from from day one. And typically, you see that you know guys come in at U14, U15 level and then fade 
especially the goalkeeper kind of fade into the distance because somebody comes up, but he's been a guy that's been a mainstay for this, for this pool. So like Matt said, I think that it's, it's a, he'd be a good captain shout because I think he knows most of these players and uh, he's obviously got a lot of caps um, for the 2002s. Yeah. He looks like a stud too. He's a big, he's a big, handsome guy. Got to, got to <laughs> shout him out for that. So doesn't um, hurt. Right. So what other goalkeepers uh, deserve a mention here? I, I think you both have some names in mind. Yeah, I'll take this first. Uh, I think the the second goalkeeper on this roster will, would probably be Chiritu Odunze. Uh, he's a really interesting player. He was born in England to, I think, one American parent, might be both. Uh, his family moved to Canada a few years ago, and I think he might hold the record for the most teams played for before the age of 16. <laughs> <laughs> He's been rostered by Chelsea, Cardiff, West Ham, and I think like three or four different clubs in Canada before landing with the Whitecaps. Uh, it's worth noting that the uh, Canada Canadian Soccer Association is very aware of him and not thrilled that he's uh, representing us. But the most interesting thing about him is that he's a potential answer to the question, uh, what if our NBA caliber athletes played soccer? Because this kid is an athletic six foot seven. Whoa. And he's 16. Yeah. Have you gotten to see him yet, Joey? I have. I have not. Um, I've seen photos of him and some highlights, and he is pretty imposing in goal, especially when you compare him to other 15, 16 year olds uh, in that in that range. But I know he uh, uh, he had a good England camp for some some of the people that were down in in England during that U seventeen camp a few weeks ago. I think uh, he had a couple of really good games. Russia, if I if I can remember correctly, he played pretty well in that game. Uh, and so, yeah, if you look at kind of the, the breakdown of who's been called in over the last couple of camps, uh, his name is, uh, has been prevalent in the goalkeeper ranks. I think it, he'll have to do an awful lot more to unseat loss. I don't think that's a possibility. But <clears throat> when it comes to the Nike friendlies, you're going to get opportunities um, uh, to, to play because uh, you very rarely does a, a goalkeeper play all three games. So. Yeah. And I, I should be clear here that he's, uh, he's kind of all potential <laughs> at this point. For every great save he makes, he, he gets like nine hold or gets caught 10 yards off his line. He's very much a work in progress. But with a keeper as steady as lost in front of him, I don't mind the decision to keep Odunze in the fold. Yeah, I like Gavin Kronecki. He's the Sacramento Republic goalkeeper. Uh, he's actually a 2003. Um, but I talked to the, the coaches out on the West Coast uh, quite a bit. And he's a player that's been really impressive. Uh uh, again, some, some of the other coaches have told me that he's been really impressive. And he actually, I think, has started um, meaning, I think, all of the games for the U19s at the Sacramento Republic. So he's a 2003 playing up uh, what you could say almost three years uh, at the U19 level and getting starts with them. So that's he's cool. a he's a player that's yeah been pretty impressive for that academy. And those, you know, some, some of the goalkeeping coaches up there have produced uh, Brady Scott at De Anza, uh, Marshankowski at San Jose. So there's some good goalkeeping coaches up there, and I think that he's a player um, who hasn't gotten a ton of run with the U17s. And I don't know if he makes the Nike Friendlies roster, but I, you know, he's a guy that I'm keeping my eye on for sure. Okay, uh, and you got an, you got one more name, and then Matt gets another uh, another name, and then we should move yeah. on from the goalkeepers. Seth Wilson's the FC Dallas goalkeeper. He's on their U17 DA team right now, um, but uh, he's had some pretty good matches for the the Dallas squad and. Um, some of the people in Dallas tell me that he's a, um, a player that FC Dallas rates very highly and uh, somebody that uh, is getting some looks from abroad. Um, a while back, uh, I was actually talking to his father, 
Um, and uh, he's a guy that's uh, like like the the aforementioned goalkeepers, uh, really good size, good with his feet, kind of one of the more modern goalkeepers nowadays. And so um, he's he's garnering some interest from abroad as well. Um, he plays again. He plays uh, in the FC Dallas U17 uh, squad right now. So again, I I do like especially in these friendlies um, when a majority of these guys are playing up at the U19 level. I think just pushing uh, 2002s up to there. Uh, it's kind of something I look for, uh, especially when formulating a, a roster at this level. Right. Um, so I kind of hold that against him a little bit. Just, you know, he's going to look great against his peers. I want to see what he would do against guys a little bit older than him and see if he can control a game uh, like that. Um, but again, FC Dallas is kind of loaded at every position, so it makes it hard for him to get matches at that level. FC Dallas is one of the few clubs where you can sort of give somebody a pass on that front, right? True. Right? Yeah, that's true. I mean, the guy ahead of him is a U.S. Youth National Team goalkeeper, too. So it's not like he's, you know, being unseated by a kid going to college or something like that, you know. Or we did we did some research, you know. Uh, the last U-17 uh, World Cup roster, just a couple, what, one of those guys went to co- two of them went to college? So um, it used yeah. to be half the roster, most of the roster was a college, you know, everybody was heading to college after the World Cup at that level but nowadays that's just not the case so i don't mean to poo poo college but i mean if, you, if that's if that's the next step for you um, my thought is the pool has a better player um uh, could develop a, a better player than that no doubt about it yeah matt you've got one more goalkeeper right oh uh, yeah i'll hit on two real quick uh aaron cervantes who's an o2 who's uh signed with orange county in the usl he signed with them uh, back in March. I don't think he got a minute in USL yet. Uh, and he's with the Patty Adores U-17s right now in the DA. But once the USL season starts uh, back up again, he'll probably get a shot at the, at, uh, the gloves for Orange County. Uh, another name to keep an eye on is Vincente Reyes, who is Atlanta's starting goalkeeper, uh, U-17 uh, goalkeeper in the DA. I've never seen him play before, but he's been called into multiple uh, Chilean U-17 camps. He was born in the U.S., uh, so we might want to get uh, get to see what he looks like in a U.S. shirt before conceding him to Chile. Okay. Well, so overall, it sounds to me like goalkeeper is a position of strength, if only because Loss is, you know, a top, easily a top five prospect in the whole age group, right? Yeah, I'd agree with that. Uh, and again, mainly because of loss. Uh, not to say that these other guys can't become great goalkeepers, but right now I, I think it's uh, far and away losses sh- shirt to to lose. And I, you know, like you said, I think he's a top five player in a pretty top heavy class. So that says a lot. Okay, let's move to a position of weakness, which is um, center back. Um, there's one kid. I'll I'll start with one of the kids, uh, Mason Judge just recently moved over to Eintracht, Eintracht Frankfurt and uh, he's in, playing in the academy there. He's been pretty much a lock starter for the U7, US U17s for about a year now. I find that he's he deserves to be this, the starting center back, but he hasn't blown me away. I guess I guess that's what I have on Judge. You know, he's he seems like a competent center back, but hasn't been amazing. Yeah, I'd describe him as a modern center back. He's good with the ball at his feet. He can make long cutting passes and he likes to dribble into space perhaps more than he should. Huh. Uh, he made a lot of last ditch tackles to save the U.S. at that U15 tournament in Italy last year. But he was 
uh, borderline really bad at the tournament in England last month, from what I've heard. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Uh, he is yeah. a quicker big, uh, uh, so it's it's hard to really get a grasp on if he's if he even really is a center back. Right, because he's not that tall either, right? Yeah. No, he's not. Yeah, I do. I do think him being at Frankfurt um, will definitely help him improve some of those areas of weakness, um, and I think it'll definitely push him outside his comfort zone to be against, uh, you know, some maybe stronger, faster players than he was used to playing with down in Florida at his DA program. So I think that that was a good move for him overall and a good move for this pool because, like you said, I think they're going to need him. Uh, regardless of where his level's at, they're going to need him to, to play that position. And so they need him to be good uh, because, again, there's not much else behind him pushing him at that at that top level. So um, him honing his craft in, in, a, in, a, in a difficult Bundesliga U17 side is, is, is good. But you're right. He has been called in more than, um, I guess, uh, one of the other center backs has been called in more to more camps than him. But uh, he, he does seem to be the guy that's always kind of the first name on the team sheet for the back line. But... Um, I guess another center back that we should talk about is Axel Alejandre. He's the uh, center back from FC United in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's the only player that's been called in to this uh, to youth national teams more than uh, Mason Judge in that position. Um, and he 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 kind of burst onto the scene as a U15 a couple years ago and has been a regular starter for this this group. Um, uh, but again, kind of like Judge, he's not the biggest player in the world. And again, it's difficult to project that as a 15 16 year old but um him and judge when i see them play together they kind of remind me of the same player i i I worry that um uh, when you have uh you know maybe not the the physically imposing center back to play off of the more skillful center back um if if teams can take advantage of that uh, with their height especially at this level um because whether we want to say it or not i mean uh, you know you want to win at this level and if you have a six foot four striker Opposing team striker, I think they would eat up both these players in the center. So uh, I just don't think that that's a really good pairing for this pool. And that's kind of what they've been working off of over the last year or so would be those two. Yeah, it's interesting. Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, just on uh, Alejandro, a little bit. uh, He's been pretty steady at the back for us. No, I don't want to make it seem like like he shouldn't be a center back on I don't really remember him having one bad game a couple of years ago against Serbia. I think it was a U15 game. But uh, the one thing that he does offer over judges, I think that he's significantly better in the air. Uh, he scored goals for us because of how good he is in the air going uh, off of corners. But yeah, I've never been sold on him as a top uh, talent either. And especially he's playing with uh, FC United still in the academy, still playing with their uh, U17s, which you know, I'd hope that I'd, you know, wish that a, a, a U17 international that's playing in the uh, DA for a team that generally struggles would get a get a, get a chance at the U19s. Right. But maybe that is a bit too much to ask. What I find interesting about that is there's some there's some 2002s uh, that also are getting run in the FC United uh, U19 team. So I wonder what the coaches are thinking. I mean, Alejandre's not been around for a lot of their games thus far, but there's been other 2002s that have gotten the opportunity to play at the 19 level and he hasn't been one of them. So that's concerning when you see that. I'm not sure if there's a larger uh, you know, game plan for him moving forward, but you're right. It's not a, it's not a prototypical, you know, top DA team where a U17 is 
you know, still considered an elite prospect. You like to see all the top USU 17s playing at the 19 level, especially in the DA. It's interesting to me that the center back, you know, center back's kind of a position of weakness for the current U20s. I mean, there there are a couple a couple promising ones, Mark McKenzie and Chris Richards, uh, but but beyond that, there's not too much going on. And then um, even at the senior level, our center backs are kind of crumbling away. Like John Brooks is John Brooks is getting traffic coned all over Germany, and uh, you know Matt Miazga is on the outs at Nantes. It's just interesting that center back is a position that we think of as uh, that we can produce in this country, and uh, we're struggling. I don't want to be too hard on the senior guys, but yeah, at the, at the youth, little... at, you think I'm being too hard on Brooks? I, mean, we, we I don't, do. And, we don't and have to get in. You know, I mean, yeah, they had like a couple bad games and bad run of form. I don't think that makes them bad center backs. And when we talk about the U.S. Our youth team, I mean, I feel like. Other than the goalkeepers, the, the the later arriving prospects are usually in the, def- the defense. I feel like that's a more mature and experienced position anyways. You don't see many 18-year-old center backs breaking onto the scene anywhere. And so it's a lot easier for a winger to come on and show two good flashes out of 10 uh, and, make a, and make a squad or an impression like Weah versus uh, a center back can't come on and do two good things out of 10 and keep a spot kind of thing. So I think it's tough for these young guys to really make a solid impact and and burst through the ranks at a young age. I just, I think this is more of a long-term position. So, um, you know, uh, you're right. There, there's not that many great center backs in the 99s. The 2000s have a few, um, but you're right. Yeah, you know, so that's that's definitely a concern, but I think it's a little early to kind of wipe all these guys out too as guys that are not going to progress in the next three years or so. What you're saying is that generally speaking, the center back is a position that they they, they don't arrive until maybe their 20s or early 24. 20s. Yeah, 23, 24 is when I would consider a center back coming into their young prime. You know, when a 23-year-old winger, that's kind of, you know, that's that's when you're, you know, you're looked to be the guy at 23. And I don't think there's many 23-year-old center backs that are looked to be, you know, an elite prospect at that point. So I think it's just a, it's just a slower burn for that position. Yeah, I can't ever remember a time where I felt great about the two center backs on the U seventeen team. Typically, it's a center <laughs> midfielder. It's a center. It's a defensive midfielder and in, in a maybe center back, a tall, a tall defender and a, and a defensive midfielder is where it seems like Hackworth would put those guys. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's always kind of a struggle to find guys at at this level to 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 kind of break on and get a position and hold on to it for three years. So, okay, okay. Well, let's let's. Uh... I, I partially retract my statements, Joey. All right, chill out. Oh, no. <laughs> um, the the next names we should talk about are Michael Berrigan at Atlas in Liga Mekis, um, Rafa Marquez's club, for those of you keeping track. Uh, he was at the Four Nations tournament. Okay. So he's he's been up fairly recently. Okay. Um, yeah, my, my question with him was always, you know, is he a right back or a center back? And I think that with the U.S., he's played more as a center back. But I think for Atlas, they deploy him as a right back. Or maybe I have that backwards. I can't remember. Um, but again, kind of like some of the other guys, I don't know if that's an if we're if, if it's a natural fit for him in that spot. Uh, and when we talk about the fullbacks later, I feel like um, if there's anything that's um, g- good about our center back pool, it's the fact that they're going to be flanked by possibly some really good uh, fullbacks. So I'm not sure if he fits into that pool or this pool. Um, Matt, you have any insight on that? Uh, I'm, it's, he's a hard player to get game footage of. Uh, the one time I d- was able to see a lineup 
out of the Atlas youth system with him in it, he was actually on the right wing. Yeah. Um, so I think that his position will end up being right back. Uh, but, you know, as you mentioned a couple minutes ago, Joey, at the U17 level, <laughs> right backs, right wingers, throw them all at center back if they can play it. Okay, well, Antino Lopez is the only other name I had down. Uh, Shattuck St. Mary's kid. I believe he was in England with the U-17s on the last trip. It might have been in Mexico City for the Four Nations Tournament, too. Does anybody, do you guys know anything about about him? Is he good? Yeah, I've seen him play a couple times. I get to I get to see some footage of Shattuck uh, every once in a while being in the Midwest. I really like that academy, and I, I think he's pretty good. He played a lot with their U-19s last year. He got some run with them um, at, at that spot last year. Um, he's They've only had four matches, Shattuck, this year. He's played those with the U-17s, and he was gone for the Four Nations. So he hasn't had a ton of run in the DA. Um, but, he, but he is a good player. I don't think he's, you know, I know we maybe just knocked the aforementioned guys a little bit, but I don't think he's near the starting level um, of Judge and Alejandre at this point either. Um, so... Uh, again, he's maybe a guy that could come up and work his way into it. But again, I don't think he's a, a real contender for the starting back spot at this point. Um, yeah. Matt, you got anything on him? Uh, not really. He's also another uh, center back, fullback tweener from what I remember. I got, I got to see him play a couple times. Didn't really leave all that much of an impression. Okay. Well, let's, let's just move quickly through the rest of the names here. You guys have some ideas uh, for center back, but since since we can't judge a center back until they're 24, we might as well just uh, quickly <laughs> quickly talk about quickly talk about the names. Uh, Joey, That's fair. Joey, you go first. Yeah, I'm really high on Casey Walls. He's a center back from San Jose Earthquakes Academy. He's a 2003. Um, he's actually a dual national. He's a, a resident of uh, of England and America, uh, so I could see him actually getting. Uh, some looks over abroad uh, sooner than later, I'll say. Um, and he's a guy that's been playing up at the U19 level, started every match for the U19s in San Jose uh, this year at center back. Uh, he does have some, uh, some a good frame on him. He's uh, uh, got good size, um, and he's very technical and smooth on the ball. Uh, he's a guy that the San Jose people really rate. Um, and I could see, because of the lack of depth here, uh, being a guy that uh, maybe could um, – come up and play at the 2002 levels at 2003 and maybe even start um, because I do think he's that good um, at this point. Mm. So he's, he's kind of my one shout to watch. I've been telling a lot of people that he could be maybe the next guy San Jose uh, looks to, 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 to get a homegrown deal to uh, partly because they, they rate him very highly and partly because he's got that European passport. So he could be a hot commodity, especially if he does well in a, a showcase like this. So, I hope he gets a look um, with the U.S. youth national teams. I know he's been called up to uh, U14s and U16 levels, so I think this is the next progression for him specifically. That's good. That's good to hear. Um... Yeah, a couple other guys. There's Kenny Nielsen. He's uh, at Patiadores in, in Southern California. He was a guy that uh, was kind of a mainstay with this group early on in their, 2000, uh, their, their U14, U15 level, kind of fallen off a little bit. Uh, but he's playing at the U19 level in the DA with Patio Doris as well. And Owen Gusky is a transplant. He's a, a Floridian who's playing at the Portland Timbers Academy. He's really the only reason to ever check in on the Portland Timbers Academy team because they're not doing so hot right now with some of their other players. But uh, Gusky's a, a pretty talented kid. He played with their. Uh, he played up a number of years last year, like uh, like Lopez. 
played with their um, uh, U19s last year uh, uh, partially, and then he's played every uh, minute with their U19s this year thus far. So um, I always thought of him as more of a center back defensive mid player. Um, Matt, you were telling me maybe he's more of a fullback uh, from what you've heard. So again, one of those not really sure where his best position is. I know he's a defender somewhere. Uh, can we plug him into the center center back role possibly? But another guy to watch. Yeah, I like Gusky as well. Uh, another name to keep an eye, eye on would probably be Ethan Bayer, who's over with Rayo Vallecano in Spain. He moved there from IMG Academy, I believe, earlier this year. Uh, from what I've seen of him, he's a pretty solid defender. Uh, he's another guy that might be a defensive midfielder. Might, center back might not be his natural position. But I don't think it would be a bad idea to get a look at him at some point during this cycle. Cool. Those are some good names to look out for. Walls, Gusky, Nielsen, and Bayer. Although Nielsen's been in some rosters lately, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, okay, let's 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 move on to more exciting things. Position of strength. Maybe the strongest position in the whole uh, pool. Fullback. You guys agree? Is that is it our strongest position? Yeah, it has. Yeah, to. probably. Mainly because, again, the guys at the top are just stand out. So I'll take Bello and Matt, you take Scally. But um, we don't have to each monopolize them. Bello, <laughs> Bello, as most of you listening to this podcast know, uh, started a couple games for Atlanta United, who a team that is now in the MLS Conference semifinals. So a good MLS team. And he scored a goal in his, I think, third appearance, second start. He's a... He's probably the prize of this age group, you know, along with maybe Laz and and uh, Gianluca Busio. But he's just, uh, you know, he's a modern he's a modern fullback. He can attack. He's very very composed on the ball. Makes good decisions. Has the strength, and I think he has the speed to uh, to defend at an elite level. Definitely has the strength and the intelligence for it. He's, you know, you watched him in the Nike friendlies last year. You thought he looked like he was older than everybody else. And um, he looks, when he plays in MLS, like he fits in just fine. So if you're going to predict somebody who makes an impact at the national team level, it's pretty easy to to put Bello on that short list. And he he's a left back, which is sort of icing on the cake. Even though it means he, you know, like you said earlier, Matt, the, it's not as high impact of a position necessarily as central midfield like Tyler Adams or striker like Josh Sargent. Uh, it's uh, an extremely, obviously, useful position for the national team program. It's famously a job we have not been able to fill very well. What do you, Adam, uh, we got a couple of questions on Twitter from uh, uh, some from listeners regarding Bellow. From Ben Williams, what do you think Bellow's ceiling is? Oh boy, ceiling. I mean, I feel like his floor is somewhere around best left back in American history, right? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's overstating it. I don't know what the competition would be, really. Um, you know, I can re- I can remember just kind of staying on the Atlanta United beat. I can remember watching the U17s play and Greg Garza being a guy that we kind of ran a lot of offense through at this level. And I remember thinking kind of the same thing about Garza at this, you know, kind of like we're talking about Bello. Garza was maybe one of the hotter names on the U17 roster back then, uh, kind of the guy that was getting some professional looks. 
unlike that, uh, you know, Garza kind of toiled around with trials and college, you know, college ranks. I don't think he went to college, but, you know, he didn't have the kind of professional opportunities that Bello has. So while, right. you know, at 16, 17, Garza had the kind of talent that maybe Bello does, um, Bello is, you know, has the pathway to kind of utilize that and hone it in a little bit. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think he, Bello's the guy that we're all waiting for just to kind of burst onto the scene and, and take that left back position for the next 10 years. Right. So, yeah, no, no pressure, George. <laughs> right. I don't, what do you think his ceiling is, Matt? Man, I don't know if I could see it. Like he, he, he has the, the potential to be an elite one V one defender. He, he'd probably be one of the better left wingers in this pool if he decided to play there instead of left back. Yeah, uh, his first touch is incredible. He, I mean, like if I if I were to poke a hole in his game, he, his crossing isn't great. Like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's hard. His work rate maybe could be better. Uh, but yeah, like if we're talking ceiling, it's easily you know top four leagues in Europe starter. Like he he maybe more than that. You know he I don't know I, I can't i couldn't make in a factory a better left back prospect than bellow is right i guess From, uh, yeah go ahead what were you gonna say joey go ahead i was just gonna i was gonna ask the other twitter question on bellow just to kind of keep this yeah, yeah. train going yeah i was just gonna, this kind of plays off that from tyler bartles I, I guess um if you got to choose would you rather have bellow stay and continue developing at at, at Atlanta united or go to a european team that uh uh, he had to fight through youth ranks and kind of other obstacles in Europe. Man, I don't know. I I feel like he's in a good spot in Atlanta. He's he's gotten chances at obviously an extremely young age, and I, they clearly rate him, and he's going to keep getting chances. They, I don't know. I mean, if he wants to go over to if he go, wants to go over to Schalke and play for the U19s for a year, I guess I wouldn't hate that, but it's where he is right now seems decent to me. Do you guys you guys have a different take on it than that? I, I want him playing first-team soccer. I think he's ready for it. Uh, and for him to go, you know, even to a, a big European team and be in the U19s for a year or even a number of years, I think is a step that he doesn't need to take. I think he's ready right now to play at the MLS level and he do so you think he's going to be able to unseat greg garza because you know garza slid right back into the starting job right now yeah i mean it's a fair question i think that if i'm looking at at it from atlanta united's perspective if you have two left backs that are you know roundabout as good as each other especially you know a couple months from now bella will be you know however many months older Mm-hmm. you'd have to think that Bello will get some amount of run for Atlanta next year, even if he's not, you know, the, the lockdown starter at that left back position. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't see him. I don't see him unseating Garza next year either. And so I do wonder <clears throat> if he's really thinking about going to Europe and taking that route of playing at a youth level and trying to get a contract after that. And I agree with Matt and you too, Adam, I think that he should be playing at it, you know, and trying to fight for a first team minutes here before he goes over to Europe. Uh, I think that his his step is to showcase that he can play at that first team level and then go to a directly into a first team spot uh, somewhere abroad. And I think that's probably his route. You know, there was rumors that he was getting looks at by some of the biggest clubs in Europe, and I just I don't see that right now. I don't think that he would go in and start 
um, you know, and any first team in a top five league at this point. No. Um, I, I just think he needs to just continue to hone his craft and kind of, kind of, you know, not use the DeAndre Yedlin template to a T, but I, I would really look, look at that as somewhat, someone to follow um, and kind of become an elite player uh, at the MLS level. And then, and then, uh, you know, use, utilize that into a, to a spot over in Europe. So. Okay. Bello, we're high yeah. on him. How about uh, how about that right back from your neck of the woods, Matt? Yes, Joe Scally. He's a he's a heck of a right back. I, I, he might not have the ceiling that Bello has, but I think he might be every bit as good as Bello is right now. Uh, his soccer IQ is more or less unmatched for uh, with you know for six for a sixteen year old. Uh, he's like always in position, makes well timed runs and. I talked to a, a DA coach who told me about him. He thinks with his feet, which I think is a great American soccer term for what Joe Scally does well. Hmm. He just everything he does is is has, has the quickness of the professional level, even when he's in the DA. Hmm. Uh, he's probably the best passing fullback in the DA right now. He's uh, an exceptional defender. Uh, maybe not as good a, of a one v one defender as Bello is. Because he doesn't have, you know, the same quickness. Uh, but I don't, I don't know that I've ever seen a goal that was his fault. Interesting. Well, I thought he, I thought he was really good. The Nike friendlies last year. Obviously, everybody knew about Bello even at that point last year, and I was kind of keying in on him. And I do feel like they ran a lot of offense through their fullbacks, and I was specifically thinking they would run a lot through their left. But I, I came away surprised for how much Scally was involved in that buildup. Um, and I think I, hopefully, if if both of them are involved. Uh, in this iteration of the of the friendlies, I hope that we continue to utilize those guys um, down the flanks because I do think they're very dangerous going forward. Do you, hey Matt, do you think that Scally can can get um, first team minutes next year with NYCFC? I, I don't know that I know anything about NYCFC next year. You know that that club, what's going on with that club's first team? Uh, you know, with not not a great situation ending the season. Um, with it in terms of the, the relationship between players and coach, um, he seemed uh, he seemed willing to to give uh, Scally some amount of run with the first team. He made the bench a couple times. I think he he played with the first team in a in a cup match, if I remember correctly. Um, but yeah, it's it's I think it would be harder to see Scally breaking into the NYCFC first team. Uh, uh, at, like Bello did, but I hope he gets some amount of run. Like he'll he'll definitely be in and around the team. He trained with the, with the first team basically this entire season. One thing to think about with him uh, moving forward is that he was born on he's an O2, but he was born literally on the last day of the year. He was born on uh, December thirty first. Um, so he is he's still a young player, you know, for this age group, and he's already six feet tall. Yeah, he doesn't look it. He looks. Yeah, I was going to ask you his yeah. height because. I don't want to get caught up on size here, of course, but he does kind of look the part. He looks like an adult, you know. Yeah. So, so yeah, he no, looks young, like he's getting. He looks like he's already getting his MBA at Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I should sit down and talk with my portfolio about him. Maybe I will down the line. But <laughs> so he he's not the quickest, uh, you know, fullback in the world right now. And if he continues to grow, maybe he, you know, is a center back. I wouldn't. I wouldn't love that, but. <laughs> 
I think he's, he's such a good right back. I'd love for him to stay there. But if he ends up being, you know, 6'3", six, 6'4", six, then I guess it's out of his hands. He had a, he had, he set up one of the goals in the tournament in England, one of the crucial goals uh, in the win over Brazil, I believe. Made a run up the right flank with the ball at his feet and then pulled it back for Griffin Yao. Both he and Bello have been known to score some goals in some pretty high-profile youth games, too. So I do like that they're, you know, have have a nose for the goal, I guess, um, because uh, they're definitely two of the more elite players on this team. And like we've been talking about, they don't come from positions where we obviously get a lot of production. With that said, I do feel like they have produced much more than than previous years of right back and left back. So that that is that is telling. I've got two more fullbacks to mention. Um, Kobe Hernandez is at the LA Galaxy Academy. And I know Brian Clavin's high on him. He's a natural left back who can also play center back. And he's been, you know, he's been playing center back when he's on the field with Bello for obvious reasons. But he's, uh, he's pretty good. He's got a good left foot. And I'm thinking is probably the second left back behind Bello. And, and then I feel like the right back spot is sort of wide open. One idea I have, and I this is a kid who played in Mexico City at the Four Nations tournament a few weeks back, uh, also a Galaxy kid, Mauricio Cuevas. And I've heard a lot of good things about him, not from the Galaxy folks, but from outside. Uh, he can play right back or, <clears throat> or central midfield, a pretty versatile player. I think he had a rough time in his appearance in Mexico City, and so people are thinking he has he has to spend a little time developing. But another one to watch for, Mauricio Cuevas. Joey, do you have a couple a uh, couple more fullbacks? Yeah, a couple more left backs or guys that can play left back. Uh, John Michael Tolkien is a left back uh, with the Red Bulls. Matt was kind of updating me before we started that uh, he's playing some center mid at the U19 level for the Red Bulls. I know he's gotten run at the left back spot for this pool in the past. Um, I also like Jacob Green. He's a 2003 left back with DC United. Uh, he was on some trials in Germany uh, earlier this year. He's pretty much, um, uh, you know, one of those prototypical kind of kind of in the bellow mold. Has been playing left back uh, pretty much his entire career, from what he's told me. He has been slotted into the midfield, kind of like Tolkien uh, for DC at times at the defensive midfield spot, but he's naturally left-footed player who's uh, exciting uh, and a couple of coaches here in the midwest have really alerted me to anton Sorensen. he's a kid that plays for the crew academy affiliate and the uh, michigan wolves um, he too can kind of fluctuate between fullback and midfield uh, but he's a guy that was really impressive in some of the camps that he was got he had gotten into so um so those are some names to watch out for i don't think i uh, in the past i don't think i've ever seen this kind of depth at the left back spot uh, so it's it's very exciting um, just because, uh, again, like we always talk about, it's a numbers game. You just want to have as many quality players in this pool as possible at a spot um, and just hope yep. that one or two hit. And so if you got you know, five, six quality left backs, good chances are that a couple of them are going to continue to progress in their professional career. Cool. You got another? any more fullbacks, Matt? Yeah, just to touch on uh, John Tolkien real quick, the Red Bull player that Joey brought up. Uh, he was added to the Red Bull 2 roster in August, uh, so he'll probably get an extended mm. look with them in season. And I don't know if he if he ends up being a center uh, center mid or a left back. He's a naturally left-footed left player. I just think when you watch him play, you just like, 
see that he's a soccer player and wherever he's going to play on the field uh, is kind of, you know, a, a second thought. But he'll definitely be one to watch, watch for. The other, uh, another fullback in the Red Bulls uh, system to look for, out for is Amir Daly. Uh, he's a winger that was converted to right back. Uh, he's one of the rare Long Islanders that's still in the Red Bull system. Hmm. Um since the, the island is pretty firmly NYCFC territory at this point. Uh, he's a great athlete, a uh, high ceiling, but still a work in progress uh, on the defensive end. Is he a right? Did you say he's a right back? Or Yeah, he's yeah. Right Okay. He's a, he's a 2002, right, Matt? Uh, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> okay. If you're still with us, bless your soul. And uh, <laughs> let's take a little break and then come back and move into the midfield. We'll be back in a second. Yeah. You know I'm working on a world premiere And I can see the world from here I know you somewhere in the atmosphere I know someday I'll meet you halfway there Cheers. They say there's nothing you can do about it Can't say that I'm new to saw Wishing I could take your problems Trade them for a little more time But you carry you out the bottom The way to the world I got it Spotted you on my shoulder Alright, defensive and box-to-box midfielders Matt, why don't you start us? We're, what we're looking for is... A lockdown number six. Do you have one? Do you have one for us? What if I told you that there is a fullback defensive midfield tweener from New York who has an incredible engine and is a one-man press? And his name isn't Tyler Adams. (laughs) Uh, Tavon Gray is a defensive midfielder with NYCFC's academy at the moment. Uh, he's unbelievably agile. Like the, the the Adams comparison might seem a bit lazy, but it's a good one. Hmm. Uh, he's maybe not on the as good on the ball as Adams is. Uh, he's a bit more of a win the ball and pass type, but I really like his upside. I always saw him as a right back. When did he get converted to the defensive midfield role? Um, he kind of got converted to the defensive midfield role with the U.S. Yeah. He's, okay. Yeah. He started there. Uh, you know, for us, a couple. Yet, if it was the October friendlies for the first time, but... he did yeah, it. He, he played, played it. in England, yeah, in, in the England. He tournament. did. He did, yeah. Interesting. Okay, and that just shows you the kind of depth they have at the fullback spot. That a guy that had come up. I mean, I, I've been following his career for a couple of years now, and he had always been a fullback, from what people have told me. So when you guys were telling me he's more of a in the you know six role, I found that interesting because he'd always been kind of a wing back type player. Uh, how it was explained to me that he played. So interesting to see him kind of slide into the midfield. Um, maybe something that doesn't happen if guys like Scally or Cuevas or all these guys that we were just talking about are ahead of him, you know? So that is interesting. It's funny. The U-17s are like op- the opposite of uh, men's league, men's Sunday league, where everybody gets demoted from fullback to central <laughs> midfield as opposed to the other way around. Totally. Before we move off Gray, uh, I just want to point something out. Uh, Tavon's dad was a professional soccer player. He played in the lower divisions of England before coming back to the States to coach. Uh, and he coaches, I believe, in Westchester uh, County right now. Uh, we've had a good amount of talent come out of the tri-state area, but uh, Gray, Timmy Weya, and Gio Reyna are, are just about the only uh, what like senior national team potential players to come out of New York and New York City in the 98 to 02 age group. And they're all sons of ex-pro players. Interesting. Huh. Just just imagine how many players were missing in New York City because they don't have the access to high-level coaching that those players do. Yeah, and I know Gray kind of came out of my radar a couple years ago when I had heard that he was doing some training in Arsenal in Manchester City. So 
Um, I guess I didn't realize his father was a, a player, so that must have been how he had some of those connections. Because he actually, Tavon has a brother who I think is just recovering from an injury. Kayvon, I think, is a winger uh, with New York City, and I think he's just recovered from an injury. So he was a guy that um, the U.S. had looked at at, at, a youth, at a youth level, U14 level, I think. Um, but uh, that is interesting. Well, I think the central midfield is a is also a position of strength, so we should keep moving here. There are a couple kids in Seattle, Joshua Tencio and Danny Robles, that I'm really high on. I know you are too, Joey. I actually know you too. You are too, Matt. So we're all going to be in agreement here. But uh, I'm a big fan of these two midfielders, but they're very different. Tencio is a cerebral number six with a big frame, not real fast, and not apparently, from what I've seen, super tough in the tackle. I've seen his two appearances in USL, and that's about it. But the kid knows how to move the ball. He's, he seems very intelligent and uh, a good passer who can sort of break the lines with a ball on the ground. Robles... Uh, is more of a box-to-box midfielder, in my view. Strong, low-to-the-ground, technical, good left foot. He looks like he can have one from 25 yards, but also win a tackle in front of his own box. Really, really high on Robles. And I'll just go ahead and jump to one of the Twitter questions, which was, best prospect yet to receive a U17 call-up is the question. Most likely 2003-born player to make the World Cup squad. And I would answer both of those questions with Danny Robles. That question's from Jackie Jackie Crown. I would say Robles is, if I'm not mistaken, he hasn't been called up yet. And uh, not 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 to like an official like nations or tournament. He's been to a few camps for the U17s, but never to an official, you know, international friendly or or, or competition. So. He's definitely on the radar. He's the guy that we talked about during our DA preview as a guy that I just don't understand why he's not getting any call-ups. Yeah. After listening to you talk with some of the guys in Seattle and how much they prioritize you know, international tournaments and how many of their players who have gotten called up, I just feel like he's one of their best players in their whole academy um, and has always played up and has always played well wherever he's played. Um, it just never seems to get that nod for the U.S. I think it's because, again, some of the players ahead of him uh, guys like uh, like you mentioned, Atencio, Gilbert Fuentes we'll touch on later, Adam Saldana from the Galaxy, who I'm very high on at, as a six or eight kind of role, and Peter Stroud, who's at West Ham. There's 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 some good players at that you know defensive midfield box-to-box role, and I think that's kind of hindered Robles' opportunities to, to get a look. I know we had t- touched on uh, what his best position is, Robles, that is. Um, and again, he's a player that I'd always – seen when I've seen film on him as maybe like a number 10, uh, more of an eight to 10 player. But, um, the Seattle people tell me that they like him at the six to kind of be a destroyer. So he has to fit into this game plan somewhere. Um, I think over the last couple of months, there's not been, been many better players on the circuit than him. So I'd be surprised if he wasn't called up for these friendlies. Well, after we talked about him in that, in that DA, uh, preview, he then made his first USL appearance. And I think it was only sure. one, and I think yeah. you, you watched that, right, Joey? I'm probably yeah. you did too, Matt. But uh, he looked really good. Uh, he, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, again, he's a player that Seattle was telling me they had brought in a first team training often, and he looked the part, and they were excited to get him more integrated with their USL team moving forward. So I just didn't understand why 
he was not getting the call-ups like so many other Seattle players while they were so high on him. I didn't know what the disconnect was. Um, so I really do hope that they start to integrate him more into this pool um, because I think he's a, a player with obvious quality. Yeah, I, I like both uh, Atencio and Robles. You got another one, Matt? I, I'm looking at the list, and I see that you do. Yeah, we'll, uh, we'll talk a little bit about Peter Stroud. He's He was in the uh, Red Bull Academy. He's uh, currently with West Ham. I think he has an English father, who uh, how he's able to join before he turned 18. Um, he was the most, uh, the majority of the time I've seen him play was with the U15s, and he was an interesting little player. He was noticeably undersized during the U15 cycle, uh, and he just looked annoying to play against. Like he buzzes around the field, winning balls. He's not super fast or uh, or athletic as like a player like uh, Tavon Gray, but he makes up for it with his uh, with just pure effort. Um, yeah, have you either of you gotten to see him? I haven't. I seen did. Him. Yeah. Oh. Go ahead, he Jim. was he was at the Nike. Sorry, he was at the Nike friendlies last year. And it was he. I thought he played really well, and I thought he was kind of the the pen, penned in starter at the six moving forward here. Just basically how he played at some of those games, and he actually uh, had told me or uh, that he he was scouted heavily at the Nike friendlies last year, and that's kind of what drew West Ham onto him was his his performances at the Nike friendlies last year. So uh, again, just another indication that playing well or getting an opportunity here. Uh, during these friendlies is you know you don't know who's watching i do wonder with some of the players like stroud i guess there's not a ton of players that are already abroad uh in this group but guys like stroud or mason judge or even somebody like uh geo reyna who who's looking to move abroad uh just maybe how much of a priority the u.s makes to call these guys in um when they maybe have already gotten their opportunities to to get some looks abroad because i do see these tournaments as a uh dual part to, to kind of help build the core of a pool as well as get, get some looks from scouts. And I do wonder if a guy like Stroud might be uh, better off just staying in London and getting, getting to, you know, continuing to grind at the U18 level over there versus flying over here and playing in two matches and then flying back, especially when we have so many good players at his position. I wonder if the U S will just maybe call in players uh, to get, to get another look at guys like Robles or, or Atencio or something like that or Greg. Right. And I don't think he's he's a starter yet for the U18s over in West Yeah, at West Ham, it doesn't look like it. There's a couple guys that do some really good jobs keeping track of that, and he plays sparingly. Do you guys think Stroud is better than Atencio and Robles or Tavon Gray? Well, he's a very different player from Atencio. It's like almost hard to you know, even make that comparison, you know, in the same way that you know, a lot of the destroyers and, yeah. you know, kind of deep maker types are uh so he's a destroyer. he's a destroyer yeah i think he's i think he's more of a sixth than robles and atencio but man matt's getting me excited about Tavon gray and if you know i've you know i haven't seen much of him at the fullback spot but if he's really buzzing around um that's the kind of player i think we want at that position and like he said stroud does that he just doesn't do it as ambitiously as somebody like gray might so i do think he's was i had him as the best number six in this pool um, even over Atencio and Robles, because again, I don't just don't think that's their ideal position. Um, I think that that Stroud does, you know, cover a similar amount of uh, ground to that uh, in comparison with Gray. But with Stroud, it kind of looks like he's uh, like you know when Pulisic goes on a run where he kind of looks like his jaw might fall off. He's running so hard, you know, he's just like one of these effort type players who has to you know grind to make the play. Whereas 
Tavon Gray just has a different level of athleticism. Sure. How about um, Gilbert Fuentes? He's a player I really like. San Jose Earthquakes. He plays kind of as an eight for them. He played kind of as an eight for them in the preseason, and then he got some cameo minutes towards the end of the season. And also played uh, for Reno quite sparingly, I think, over the summer in USL. I really like him. I thought he was... I I watched those Nike-friendly games last year. I didn't even notice Stroud, and but I sure noticed Fuentes. I thought he was probably our best player in that tournament outside of Bello and Lass. And um, he's he's quick. He's technical. He seems like he's put on a lot of muscle since then. So he's gotten a lot bulkier in a good way over the last 12 months. Right. I, like, still... I like him. Okay. Still kind of small, but you can't. You really can't understate how good he is on the ball. He's just kind of one of those special players when he has the ball at his feet. Uh, he yeah, ten in the in the DA, right, Joey? Yeah, he does. And I thought he played more of a ten last year. The Nike friendlies. Again, I agree. He's very good on the ball, but I do feel like at times he was easily pushed off the ball, even even you know at the Nike friendlies last year. So you're right. I guess adding some more strength and muscle after turning pro would probably be very good for him. Um, I do think he'd be better out wide. Um, in my opinion, just because, again, I think he's good with the ball at his feet and makes things happen. I just think he gets kind of busted up when he's playing, you know, in the, in the middle. So I, I do, I do kind of wonder or worry where his best position is, even at this level. So mm-hmm. it'll be interesting because I do think he's a guy that will get the call in. Uh, he's been a definite staple for the 2002 pool. Uh, so I, I very much could see him in this, in this group coming up. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how they deploy him. Okay. Can I talk about a player real quick that I wanted to touch on? Absolutely. Go for it. Edwin Vill- yeah, Edwin Villarreal is a uh, former FC Dallas midfielder. Uh, he's a 2003 um, defensive midfielder, number six. Um, very highly rated in the FC Dallas program, but he recently uh, part- uh, uh, was, a, was a participant in the Alianza football showcase um, and kind of uh, was seen by a number of clubs down there. I think he had received... Uh, the second most amount of scholarships or trial opportunities down in Mexico. Um, and I believe he's with Pachuca now. Um, he's a player that um, when I talk to other players in this age group or the 2003s, and I ask them who kind of who the toughest or best player they've played against, Edwin Villarreal, who was played with the U16s uh, exclusively almost, um, is a player that is pretty much always mentioned as one of the better players at that age group, uh, which is telling to me. Um, I do know that he, like I said, he's down in Mexico right now, um, and I do worry that he's part of this. Um, again, his his pathway is very eerily similar to Jonathan Gonzalez's. Um, again, Gonzalez played may- maybe more high up the pitch at youth levels, um, but again, this is a number six who played in the DA, who's now went to Alianza and now is down in, in, in Mexico. So I do worry about his uh, career path at this point, wondering if Mexico is going to get a, um, a little bit ambitious and call him up to the youth teams. Um, from talking with him in the past, he's committed to playing with the United States uh, that he's told me. And again, he's only been called up by the U.S. Uh, but again, uh, he's a player that's supremely talented, uh, very good with the ball and, and, and good at disrupting, kind of a one-man disruptor at, at the U16 level um, and a player that pretty much every other U16 says is maybe the top player on their team. Um, but I think he's trying to get his club situation sorted out. So he's not a guy that I... Uh, can see getting called up to this Nike friendlies, even though he might be deserving, um, but just a name to kind of keep an eye on for sure. 
Very cool. Any, uh, you got any other CMs? Any CDMs, Joey? Before we go over uh, Ma Yeah, Maximilian, uh, I think it's Gogol. He's from uh, um, the San Francisco area, moved over to FC Stuttgart a couple years ago. He actually played with the U.S. in the Nike Friendlies in 2017. He is a number six, number eight player, um, uh, again, who's, who's over in Germany right now and has made a couple of those German uh, you know, DFB uh, training camps. So he's a guy that uh, is getting looks over in Germany and their national team training centers. Um, but again, played in this, uh, this, this tournament last year for the United States. Um, following his stats, it does seem like he's a starter for the U-17s at Stuttgart and has, has kind of gotten some opportunity to, to bounce up to the U-19s uh, in training situations. Um, so definitely a player to watch out for. Haven't seen footage on him for a long time, but um, uh, definitely, uh, again, another player to kind of keep an eye on or keep tabs on. And lastly, I just kind of wanted to mention another 2003 that uh, uh, I, I've gotten good reviews on, and that's Chicago Fire's Javier Casas. Uh, he is a number eight uh, for the Chicago Fire, kind of a box-to-box -box midfielder, Fulcrum, who's been playing ahead of Villarreal at the U16 level. Um, he was injured during the summer. Uh, he's kind of working his way back. He should be back in the next month. I don't think he gets a call into the friendlies because – uh, he's probably not in game shape at this point. But, again, somebody that I could see uh, when the World Cup comes around making the kind of leap that a Taylor Booth or Indiana Vassal have made um, to, to get up um, you know, and, and play up a year at this level. So definitely a player uh, uh, that has many scouts and agents uh, buzzing. Mm -hmm. So Cool. Yeah. I've got one more and then a, sort of a big question mark. And then, Matt, you've got a couple, I, I think. Adam Saldana is a guy you mentioned earlier, Joey, LA Ga Galaxy Academy, uh, number eight, I think, maybe a number six sometimes. Gotten quite a few USL minutes this year. I think several appearances. I can't I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but he's played a lot. But I, I got to say, I haven't been able to get a good read on his game. I watched a lot of Galaxy uh, Los Dos games, and Saldana never really stuck out as really good or really bad he's just kind of there and i wonder if either of you has a read on on his game that you can pass along well i think that he'll he'll end up being an eight uh he's he's a pretty good two-way player he thrives on winning 50 50 balls and i think that uh, against lesser competition he could kind of take over uh take over and dominate the game um he might be the best midfielder in the pool at uh, turning out of pressure uh, and making hmm. a pass, which is you know always a good thing. He has a pretty good uh, work rate. Um, the biggest uh, red flag uh, for him as of late is that he's only played three games with the Galaxy's U19 so far this season, and that's because in those three games he has two red cards. Jeez. <laughs> uh, he's batting 666. Um. <laughs> What about Will Riley? I mean, Joey, Joey, did you say you were high on Saldana? I really do like him. I do think he's a number eight. Um, I know that the Galaxy worked hard to get them in, in, uh, him into their academy. He's a player that was at Real SoCal before that. So, um, again, I, I do. I really like him uh, at, at the eight. Again, I don't know if I like him or Robles better, but it'd be one of those two to be starting at my the eight position for me. So. But Matt had a great, great breakdown of his game. I do think he's kind of an engine type player, can can do things going forward, but it's not going to make the 
the critical pass, and he can do things in defense, but he's not going to be the guy that's alone in front of the back line that's going to be busting up the play. So I do think he's kind of one of those middle type, you know, a good a good midfielder, a good player going both ways. So sounds a little bit that like would... Marky Delgado, and I like that. <laughs> <laughs> we know how you feel about your Marky Delgado. What about what about Will Riley? Uh, he's at Atlanta United. He was in the group that went to England. Does either of you have a good read on his game? Never seen him play. Yeah, I also haven't seen him play. <laughs> he's okay. a number eight. Uh, uh, the reason why we, none of us have seen him play is because he didn't start a game the entirety of the last DA season. He was playing with Atlanta's U16s, uh, who play in a local league. So none of the games were in, in the DA. Uh, he finally got on the field for Atlanta as a sub in, um, in the I think it was the DA playoffs where he, is when he finally got on the field. Uh, and Atlanta and the U.S. must have really liked what they saw because his rise since has been pretty fast. Uh, I've been told that Atlanta's U-17s play through him this season. And, that, uh, and since Atlanta's uh, U-19s aren't very good, he might be in line for a promotion one of these days. Hmm. And again, they do have a good academy down there in Atlanta. I just, again, kind of repeating myself, but I have a hard time turning down a guy who's getting USL minutes for a guy who's, you know, starring at the U17 level. And I'm not saying you're rallying from it all, Matt. I'm just saying, you know, at this level, I want to see players playing up um, up, up levels. And if uh, um, he's still toiling at Atlanta's U17s, you know, I want, I want him to progress further than that. So He'd definitely be an end-of-the-roster guy. if he does. For sure. Okay, you got a couple midfielders to talk about, Matt. Go for it. Yeah, I'll start with uh, Danny Flores. Uh, he's been in a couple of U17 camps now, uh, and is the starting six on what might be the best U17 team in the country in Philly, uh, in Philadelphia. Uh, they brought mm-hmm. him into their residency program from Chateau St. Mary up in your neck of the Woodbells. Yep. <laughs> from what I've heard, uh, the plan is for him to play with uh, Bethlehem Steel at some point next USL season. So Philly rates him highly. I haven't seen all that much of him, but he's in 0-2, clear number six. And then another player who we might who we should probably talk about here is uh, um, David Rodriguez. He's with FC Dallas right now. Um, I think he, pro- he probably ends up at the number 10, but he can potentially play uh, the eight. Uh, he's a two-footed player, uh, very dribbly reminds me a little bit of Marlon Vargas. Yeah, haven't seen all too much of him either. Oh, I like that. I like that. <laughs> well, maybe this is a good time to add, to do another Twitter question. Ben Elliott asked, "Do you guys see any trend in the clubs or regions the best players in this group come from, and how would that compare to previous cycles?" Matt, why don't you start on that one? Um, you know, I don't know that the you know best players in the cycle are coming out of you know a different place than they were in previous cycles. Uh, Northern California, maybe, uh, you know, that, but that'd be entirely because of Seattle mm-hmm. pulling, out, you know, out of that out of that region. I think one thing that we are seeing in this cycle is that you have a, a more diversity in where players are coming from, like. You have uh, uh, academy teams that are pulling players from places where players haven't necessarily been pulled from before, like NYCFC pulling out of Connecticut, a whole bunch of the Midwest teams pulling out of states like Kansas and 
you know, which weren't previously scouted, uh, supporting Kansas City and uh, North Carolina. But yeah, it's still, for the most part, L.A., Dallas, New York. Yeah, I think this. I think this pool will definitely have a, a Seattle Sounders imprint on it. I think a lot of the core will involve those players, both in the midfield and in the forward line. Um, and again, I don't think that's something that we've seen in the, the 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 previous U17 rosters is a ton of players from the Pacific Northwest. But I definitely think that they'll be imprinted heavily on this roster. So that's nice to see because again, like you talked about at length in your interview with. Uh, the, the what was his name the technical director at seattle they do a really good job of evaluating yeah go ahead mark nichols mark nichols yeah mark nichols that's right uh they do a good job of you know in, in the, the tedious work of evaluating players throughout the country and so i like when that kind of work is rewarded uh at the at the national team level you know those guys are doing good work and, and work that maybe some other clubs should be doing so yeah something to mention about seattle is like like Matt said, so, several of their players do come from California and Northern California, and I think there's one from Las Vegas. But there are also some of those young guns are from Washington State, like deep in the state. And by deep in the state, I mean eat on the east side, you know. Sure. Over the mountains and kind of in, uh, you know, relative to places like New York, a remote area. I can't speak to the regions as well as you guys can. But the the clubs are, I mean, it's Seattle, L.A., Dallas, uh, both New York clubs, and and Philadelphia and Atlanta seem like they just keep coming up over and over again. And it's weird how the clubs that invest in their academies get their players called up to national teams. <laughs> right. Do we feel good about the the sixes and the eights? Yeah, that's a, that's a strong position for me. Yeah, definitely. You know, probably around as strong as they were last cycle. Maybe even a little stronger uh, when you compare where this cycle is to where the U seventeens were at this where last cycle's U seventeens were at this time. Sure. It's going to be tough to figure out who plays. I think in and in what position. Let's move on to attacking midfielder, and and we'll we'll start this off with a Twitter question from Kenny Sloth. He says, Andrew Carlton is overrated. Is there anyone who has a similar degree of flair and creativity in the pool, though, in this pool? What do you guys think? Is there anybody with Carlton-esque flair? Um, I mean, I think there are players that have you know more flair than Carlton do, but they, you know, a lot of them have the same questions surrounding them that Carlton do. You know, the problem with Carlton isn't that his flair and creativity aren't good enough. You know, it's, it's the rest of his game isn't necessarily, uh, you know, where you'd want it to be for, for a high level prospect. I think if you look at a player like Josh Penadath, who, you know, a winger at Ajax, he's as tricky and on the ball as Carlton, perhaps even, even more so, but, you know, he has his own problems as a pro prospect, namely that he's not exactly the most athletic you know, player in the world. Right. Yeah, if Pinedas a good a good passer at least in the highlight reels that I've seen. Um, yeah. Anybody, anybody else come to mind as a flare player, Joey? Do- no, I think I think that I don't think I've seen a player with as much like unnecessary flare as Carlton in a long time. And again, I I I appreciated that because at times he would just try things and 
if it worked, you know, one time out of five, that was a, you know, that wasn't something we were getting in the past. Uh, being more pragmatic, with, especially with some of the coaches we've had, it was kind of a breath of fresh air to see him at least try stuff. But nobody, nobody pops out of this pool like like he did. I mean, he, I think he's unmatched in some of the things he was trying to do. So, um, yeah. I, yeah, I don't think there's a guy like in this pool that stands out that that would do some of that stuff um, here. And that you know that could be a good thing and that could be a bad thing. But um, I think for the U17s, especially the last the last pool. Um, his kind of flair uh, was something we could be, we you know, we could be afforded because of guys like Durkin and uh, and Taylor Booth, guys who did a lot of that dirty work behind him uh, and Goslin, so that he could kind of pull off some of those tricks. But um, I don't think that we necessarily have uh, a player in this in this 2002 pool that's going to be trying a lot of that same stuff. So, right, yeah, I don't see anybody. I, the 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 best attacking midfielder probably in the pool right now is in my opinion Gianluca Busio and I don't see him making the kinds of passes that Andrew Carlton does. He's starting to look a little more like an inventive passer in the attacking half over the last half of the season, but not on not on Carlton's level. You know, Busio may be taking care of business in other ways that Carlton is not. So I I want to acknowledge that, but I just don't think Busio has Carlton's game-breaking playmaking uh creativity. Or his tricks. I do think that Carlton was really tricky at this level, um, and a lot of other nations couldn't keep up with some of his tricks. Um, but when we got to uh, maybe the World Cup or even the, you know matches against Mexico, those tricks didn't work. I do think that Busio's got plenty of uh, talent and potential uh, that that Carlton had at 16, but I just don't think he's you know been shown to to try a lot of those things. So again, that could be a good thing, could be a bad thing. Matt, you want to weigh in on that one? Anybody you see? I don't think that there's anybody, you know, in in the midfield, like in the in the ten pool, that's going to play, and like Carlton did. No. Okay, it's, so just pin it, a, pin it death. Right. Who do yeah? Who do you guys think is going to be the ten for this group? I think it's going to be Busio, unless uh, you know, unless he's busy with other things. Yeah, it's it's hard to see anybody surpassing Busio. You know, like Busio is pretty much a an MLS player at this point. I don't know how how many other players that we have here on our lists uh, we could say that about. Um, and I think that's deserved. You know, like Busio is clean on the ball. You know, pretty dangerous from set pieces. He c- can shoot from distance, and you know is is a competent passer, if not better than that uh you know he could be tricky when he needs to be uh i think think about that assist that, that he had against houston mm-hmm. is a pass that like you know i don't know how many other players in the entire pool make so yeah he had a he had an appearance against vancouver late in the season where he got like 30 minutes at the end of a game and he he made several inventive passes i mean nothing quite on the level of that houston assist but I've been kind of a Busio critic because I because I look at him and thought you know even at the DA level last year he put in some pretty uninspiring performances. But um, but that performance against Vancouver makes me soften my criticism. I guess I think he, I'm ready to be swept away. He did play well against Vancouver. I remember seeing some of those highlights. And my my all my question with him and some of the other players we're going to talk about is. Again, I'm just not sure of their best position. For a long time, I thought 
Busio would be better served playing higher up the field, like as not like more higher higher up than like a ten, almost like a support striker role, but not like a creative midfielder role. Um, just because I do think he's very dangerous in those in that box in that that space, but I don't see him kind of grabbing the ball off of a midfielder and, and creating that pass kind of p- play. And again, it's tough to make those decisions or those statements for a 16-year-old. There's not a lot of film out on him or or playing time. Um, but I guess I guess I'll jump right into it. For me, I do, I, I you know I I think that Gio Reyna is a, a guy that we should be looking to as our 10. Um, I know a couple of you disagree with me, but I just think that um, sometimes uh, when I've seen him play, he's he's the most dangerous um, when he's got the ball at his feet. And if we're going to look for a guy to create, um, I know that he's good in front of the net too, and he'd be you know somebody that maybe we can put, you know project as a striker. Um, but at this level, I, I do think he's maybe our best ten. So so have at it. All right, we're going to have that discussion, but let me throw another disclaimer out there, which is that one of the great things about these Nike friendlies is we're going to learn about the pool. You know, we're all we're we're talking about it. We've seen these guys, you guys have seen more than I have, but we've seen some of these guys play. Things are changing every day for them at at the ages they're at. So, I wouldn't be surprised, you know, maybe Reyna does end up being the 10, but the way I see it right now, he's already 6-1. He's not the quickest. I feel like he's going to end up being a nine just as he keeps growing and he's, he's not fast enough to play on the wing. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he ends up being a six foot two playmaking number 10, but I'm starting to feel like he's going to be more of a nine long-term. Yeah. It's yeah. He did play as a nine in the friendly against uh, Norway. I think it was, it was his, he got a, sh- a chance there with the U S if I remember correctly. So it's not something that's you know completely out of like foreign to him. It's something that you know they're obviously thinking about. Um, right now, I think that you know Reyna could play anywhere. He, he could play on the wing. He could play at the ten. He could play at striker. Like if we're talking for for the Nike friendlies, uh, but long term, I, I just don't see uh, him panning out as a ten. He's just I think he's going to be too tall. He hasn't uh, you know uh, Busio and Efra Alvarez played at the 10 for like basically the entire U15 cycle. So he doesn't have experience, too much experience there. Um, he, he has never been particularly good when he's crowded, when the, you know there's players around him. Yeah, I think that you know, he's a winger and right now and he'll eventually transition to more of a striker role, even if that's like a second striker type role. Well, we have some disagreement in the ranks here, but um, let me let me ask this about Reyna. You know, he's he's a player that's gotten a lot of hype. He already has his own Adidas commercial, for goodness sakes. But how good is he really? Do you guys think? Is he? I mean, we we came in. I think a year ago, most people would have said he's the best player in the pool, right? At this age group. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, I think that he is still, you know, maybe not the the best player in the pool uh, if you're counting, you know, <laughs> Bellow and Loss. Like he, he's definitely the most talented uh, attacking player in this team. Still, I think that he's the player that he's the try stuff player that uh, you know Carlton was last cycle and Pulisic was the cycle before uh, for this U17 team. Uh, he's 
so smooth on the ball. Like you really can't even, there isn't an equal to him in terms of when he's, drib- when he's dribbling at a player, how easy he makes it look like to, to go past the defender. Yeah, that's uh, true. That's, that's why I worry about him as the nine. Cause I think if you put him up there on an Island, he can get almost taken out of a game. And I feel like that he's too dangerous to be not wasted at that position, but you know, we need him on the ball. And again, wins and losses at this level, I don't really care about at all. Um, and that's why it'll be interesting to see where he lands and what the plan for him is. Um, because if he projects as some kind of six foot two back to the goal target for, that's just never how I've seen him play. He's always best, like you said, when he's got the ball at his feet, runners to the sides, and he can take on players. And so I just feel like at this point, we need him on the ball. And where else to put him in this kind of formation but the 10? I, you know, I just don't have any good spot for him. Because, again, again, I don't think he's a good winger. Uh, you know, I don't think that's his best spot to get to the end line and, and deliver a cross. Um, again, he needs to be on the ball, so I would put him right in the middle of the field with some midfielders behind him. That's kind of where I would put him. He plays a 10, more or less as a 10 in the DA final for NYCFC when they beat the Galaxy. And he looked good. And that was one of the points I was going to make about him in the, like, how good is Gio Reyna question is he looks good against elite academy competition. He looked good against Real Madrid's U-17s earlier this year when um, NYCFC beat them 1-0. to He looked good in the U-19 DA final against the Galaxy. It's just hard to say because we ha- I haven't gotten to see him play any USL minutes. I guess that's my main barometer at this point. And that's fair. I think Matt's right. It's tough to, to say that he's better than Bello or boost you at this point because he just hasn't been tested at that level. Um, but kind of back to your original question, um, outside of Bello, I don't know if there's a player with as high of a ceiling in this pool. Um, and again, maybe a little of that's a little bit of my bias because I loved how his dad played mm-hmm. and he's been awarded a lot of the opportunities that maybe some other players are not because they're on Adidas commercials or can get over to Germany uh, because of his dad's connections. Um, but he's a player that every time I've seen play, um, just just looks the part. Um, so again, I think his ceiling is as high as anybody's outside of Bellows in this whole pool. Okay. Do you feel like we've covered Busio well enough? I, I guess I have one more point to make about Busio, which is, you know, Matt, you said he's earned his role as being basically an MLS player. And I think that that's gotta be that's gotta be mentioned as part of this. Is he's his coach is Peter Vermes, and I don't think Vermes is just handing out charity minutes to sixteen-year-olds, you know. <laughs> oh, he's not. Yeah, you're right. I mean, you could ask Eric Palmer Brown. <laughs> right. EPB couldn't get on the field. Maybe a little bit different situation given their strong center back pairing there. But anyway, Busio's Busio's had to like had to prove himself to Vermes, and I think that's a good that's a good stamp of approval to have for a for a kid who's getting, you know, some attention. Yeah. I think you have to ask the question, is this pool of players of 10 so good that a MLS, you know, player at the age of 16 is in our starting number 10? And I think the answer to that is barring Gio Reyna. No, it's, it's not that good. Yeah. Busio's limitations probably long-term are he's not super fast. And he's not super fast or quick, like right. I, either of them. So I'd worry about if he plays against, you know, if he once he plays against hot, even higher level competition, then maybe he's 
played against thus far, does he just get completely crowded out of the game? Does he get... But again, yeah, he's not fast against professional players at the MLS level. I think he's going to turn circles around guys, you know, at, at maybe his peers or even at the U20 level. So it's it's difficult for me to say he's not quick and you know at, at his level right now because again he's playing against guys maybe 10 years older than him so um i do think when they played down in florida a couple years ago with that international tournament i do think he was exceptionally good um uh and again i, I i've always struggled with where you play busio and reina together and how they how they fit and and, and how that works i do think that's a problem that the staff is going to have to solve because I, de- I mean, obviously, you're going to have both those guys on the field if, if they're available. Um, and, and how they meld together will be very interesting to see how they do that. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, let's see. Uh, let's talk about a couple other attacking midfielders. There's Jamie Dunning, James Dunning, who's at Feyenoord. And he comes from Dallas. I think he just moved over to Feyenoord earlier this year, or maybe it was late last year. I don't know that much else about him. Have have you guys seen him play? I haven't seen him play a full 90 minutes, but uh, I've been following him kind of closely, so I know a little bit about him. He starts mostly on the left wing for uh, Fanyard's uh, U17s. Huh. Uh, he's he's eligible for uh, uh, Canada and England as well, and I think that you know, Canada's been in contact with him. Uh, he's tricky. Uh, he could be one you know one of the players that we look back at this team. You know, in five years, I think, and be like, "Wow, that how how is he not starting in these games?" Like, you know, look at what he is now. But right now, I think we have, you know, bet players on at the ten and on the left wing who have a bit more of a complete game. Okay, uh, question from Twitter: Kyle Ekstrom asks, "Does Moses Nyman have any shot at this team?" I think for sure he does. Um, the question with him is, when is he going to get healthy? Uh, supposedly he's back to fitness at this point, but I don't think he's logged any minutes for the DC United U-17s where he's going to spend most of the beginning of the DA year. So, again, he came off uh, a knee injury over the summer, and uh, that's something that he's got to deal with. And I definitely think he's got the quality and maybe even the quality to bust into this, um, if not starting lineup, definitely the the kind of top 20 uh, roster for, for this pool uh, that's the kind of quality he has, but um, he needs to get healthy first. Yeah, we should specify that he's an O three, which is the only reason why this is even a debate. If he was Moses Nyman, but a year older, I think that he'd you know definitely be in this team. Um, uh, what I have to say about Nyman is that uh, the good news is that he's the new Gideon Zalalem. <laughs> he's he can control the pace of the game. You know, he has he has a great he has great vision and a, a good first touch. He almost never turns the ball over. And the bad news is that he's the new Gideon Zalalem. He's <laughs> undersized. He doesn't. He hasn't yet shown the grit to win 50-50 balls. And he's been injured for like eight of the last ten months. Yeah. Yeah. He was an absolute cool. revelation, at to me at least, at the um, – was it the GA Cup? He was up against Eintracht Frankfurt's U-17s. And he was 14 years old at the time, I believe, and absolutely dominated the game in the ways that you just described. Good, good, yeah, good comparison to Zalalem. Uh, and again, kind of piggybacking off that, the good news, uh, some more good news about him is that the U.S. is definitely aware of his talent, uh, as they were with uh, Gideon's. Um, they had a lot, jumped through a lot of hoops to get uh, him to play, uh, Zalalem to play with their youth teams. 
Moses Nyman, I think, has cleared most of those hoops and is eligible to play for the U.S. Um, just when he's healthy. So, kind of, kind of, we got to pray for his health for this for this pool. Uh, Matt, you have another attacking midfielder, and then we'll move on to wingers and strikers. Yeah, there, we have a an O2 at Villarreal named uh, Jack Imperato. Uh, he's a Texan who moved to Villarreal from Lone Star. I, uh, where does I don't I don't can't remember where Lone Star plays. Is it Austin? Austin. Um, he had a registration issue that which stopped him from making his uh, debut at Villarreal up until like I think a couple weeks ago. Um, and he's a hard, pretty hard player to get game tape on, but he clearly has a, a you know a ton of talent with the ball at his feet. And, you know his the clips that his dad uploads to YouTube makes that evident. Uh, <laughs> I think he, he only has uh, one call up to this U17 cycle so far, so unlikely to get a call up to something like the Nike friendlies, but a player to keep an eye on. Okay, moving right along, let's talk about wingers. We already we already spoke about Gio Reyna, who, for the record, Joey believes is a ten, and Matt and I believe is actually a, a striker. But the reality is, right now, he mostly plays on the wing for the U.S. Um, <laughs> so. Sounds typical. <laughs> Sounds typical. <laughs> um, another winger, another NYCFC winger is Andres Jassen. Uh, Matt, why don't you take him? He's a left winger that they. Uh, plucked that NYCFC plucked out of Connecticut. Um, I was, you know, kind of high on him a couple months ago, but he struggled a bit with the NYCFC U19s. Uh, he's only started uh, two of their nine games so far this season and hasn't scored yet. Uh, he wasn't exactly super prolific last season as well. He scored uh, four goals in 30 games, which isn't the type of output that you really want to see from a national team uh, winger playing uh, in the DA, but I think uh, NYCFC and the U.S. soccer staff like him because of his work rate on the left wing. Uh, he had a goal and assist against the, the against the U16s at the youth mega camp, hmm. and from what I've heard, both of those were just him getting to the ball before the before a defender. From what little I've seen him play for the U.S. and NYCFC, I feel like he plays better for the U.S. than he does NYCFC. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I feel like he's more impressive with the youth national teams than he is. New York, and that's usually the opposite way. But um, he's a player that when he first started getting calls up, uh, just kind of seeing minimal highlights and his stats for the DA, I thought, seems like a stretch. But every time I read about him or see him on, on U.S. Um, you know rosters, he plays really well. And so he's kind of an, an enigma for me because he's kind of just, you know keeps deserving his call-ups to the national team, but then he gets back with his club and it just kind of confuses me what he's doing over there. So... Adam, do you think Alfonso Campo Chavez is a winger or a striker? I think he's probably more of a striker, but if I'm going to make a starting 11, which I think we need to briefly do, each of us, at the end of this discussion, if I'm going to make a starting 11, I'm going to put him on the wing, which is he's played on the wing for the Seattle USL side yeah, a little bit. Too. And I just think uh, he's not that big of a guy, and that could change. You know, he's only 16. But what do you think? Do you think he's more of a striker or a winger? I do. I think he's the nine. I think he's our nine. If we were to put it together a lineup, I guess we'll do that later. Um, I know he's undersized and uh, not what we would typically think of for a, a target forward or, or central forward. But um, I just think his strike rate in front of goal is somebody that you need in that position. And, um, yeah, I just don't think he's as, as effective on the wings. 
I definitely see him more as a striker than a winger. And you see him as the nine, like not just yeah, a I, nine, but yeah, definitive. Yeah, I, I, I really do. Yeah. Okay. What about you, Matt? Yeah, it's kind of hard to disagree with that. He's off to a flying start to the DA this season. I think that's worth pointing out. Uh, and he'll he'll almost certainly be a starter for this U17 team, whether it's at striker or on the on the right wing. Um, yeah, I, I I like his game. I don't think he he really jumps off the screen at you uh, at you when you're watching Seattle the way players like Marlon Vargas and Danny Robles do, mm-hmm. uh, but. He, he he has a ton of talent. He he's a pretty good finisher. He plays he plays upright, which is you know really weird. Like no no, no matter what he's doing on the field, he's basically standing straight up and you know very Clint Dempsey type thing <laughs> for him to do. Uh, he he dribbles through people. Uh, like he he's a very good dribble. I think that the one advantage to having him on the wing as opposed to a striker is that you know you you would kind of lose a little bit of that aspect of his game. Just going at people and making them look bad. What about Cade Cowell? You got him, Matt. Yeah, he's in 03. He he had a he scored 33 goals in 32 games last season uh, for for the Ballistic United U15 team in the academy, uh, and has three goals in four games so far this season with the Quakes uh, at the U17 level. So you know he's clearly. Uh, doing something right. I haven't seen a ton of him, but uh, the little that I have seen of him, he's a he's a he's tremendously fast. Like maybe the fastest player in this entire U seventeen pool, um, and it it shows on the pitch. Yeah, he's a he has a decent right right footed uh, finish. Hmm. I wouldn't call him you know a great passer, but he does have the technical ability to receive and control the ball at pace and. Given how good that pace is, I think he probably belongs in the player pool. Okay. Well, we already discussed J- Josh Pinadath a little bit. He's at Ajax. He's a he's a very very tricky and slender winger who just back from injury. He's not playing up an age group. I mean that those that Ajax system is just they're they're throwing kids up and down age groups all the time. And I think it's notable that he has never played in an age group above his own. Uh, like Matt said, he's very technical, but lack of that lack of athleticism is um, it's you can see it even at the U, uh, you can see it at the U sixteen level last year. Right. Do you, Joey? Do you have sort of a dissenting uh, view on that? I do think his lack of physical abilities um, have held him back in Holland a little bit. I do think he maybe has more tricks in his bag than a lot of the other players we've already talked about. Uh, so he's a decent shout on the wings because he can create. Uh, I do think he's fairly fast and, and fast with the ball, which I don't think everybody can say, but I do think he runs with with good pace with the ball at his feet. And I do think he's got a good shot. Um, I, but I, again, I don't see him uh, as, as one of the top two wingers in the pool right now. Um, so I think he'll have a tough time um, I don't, you know, I, he's again, again, a guy that's just coming off an injury, I, I think would be uh, better off staying in Holland, continuing to progress through that system and, uh, and maybe foregoing the friendlies here in a, in a couple weeks. Okay. Uh, Joey, why don't you give us a couple more wingers to think about, Matt, you can do a couple more. Sure. 
Yeah, so Patrick Bowie is a uh, uh, winger with the Philadelphia Union Academy. He's at the U-17 level. Matt already kind of touched on the fact that the U-17s for the Union are extremely talented. They have kind of prospects for the youth national teams uh, littered all over that roster. And he's their left winger. He did kind of burst onto the scene with the U-16s. Last year, he's a 2003, if I didn't mention that. Um, And I think he's the leading scorer for the, uh, the Union at that level. Um, inc- incredibly powerful, uh, very good shot, um, and, and could easily, with his athletic prowess, play up a year. So he's a player that, um, if there's some if there's some dip in the 2002s at the winger spot, he can maybe look to um, to elevate his game to play up. And a guy that uh, made some headlines a couple weeks ago was Andre Luis Cuerez Costa. He's the um, Real Madrid or former Real Madrid uh, midfield winger uh, with U.S. ties. Uh, I think he was born in Florida, played at Weston Academy uh, for a few years, and they then made a move over to the Real Madrid youth teams, um, recently made a transfer to Real Vallecano. And I've been talking with Ethan Beyer, uh, the player that Matt mentioned earlier as a defender, uh, kind of how he rates or how he's seen Costa's game. Uh, and he said he's incredibly talented, a guy that uh, is being asked, uh, Costa that is, uh, asked to move up and down the Real Vallecano uh, youth teams to their reserve side. So he's a player that it's obviously in their plans. Um, I think the article that came out a few weeks ago was that he had been contacted by U.S. soccer to um, to commit to their national team because he's obviously eligible for the Brazilian national team too. Um, so got a guy maybe to watch, kind of a, a flyer shout. I don't think he'll be involved with this Nike friendly, but kind of like Serginho Dest uh, was with the last cycle, uh, as things kind of get closer and closer to World Cup time, it's a little easier of a sell to get some of these dual nationals who haven't played with their other uh, their other nation that they're eligible for to kind of sign up with your squad. So a uh, guy to kind of follow over in Spain, and uh, if, if the need arises, he could be a guy that we bring in late in the year uh, to make the roster. Okay. Matt, you got you got some more wingers to mention. Go for it. Yeah, I'll start with uh, an 3 in the FC Dallas Academy, Dante uh, Sealy. Uh, he actually played for us at the Nike Friendlies last year. Mm-hmm. He didn't have a great Nike Friendlies, but he was an 3 you know, playing at the Nike Friendlies, which was which is impressive in itself. Uh, his dad is was a Trinidadian international and uh, who played for Dallas. Uh, he had a uh, Dante had a trial at Villarreal uh, in the summer, um, and he's starting with the uh, FC Dallas U19s right now is a 15-year-old, which is pretty impressive given how good those FC Dallas teams are. Yeah, uh, He might end up being the most gifted uh, number nine in this age group, but since he's, uh, you know, not... He's kind of small and an 3 I think he'd probably have to find time on the right wing to get on the field uh, at the Nike friendlies, uh, like he does. He plays on the right wing for Dallas's U19s. Uh, he actually got a couple looks with the FC Dallas first team late uh, in this season. So I'd be shocked if he isn't at least uh, playing for Dallas's uh, USL side next season. Okay. Which is going to play in the, what, the second division of the USL? Which is right, the... the USL B3, whatever it's called nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. So another interesting player uh, we should talk probably talk about is uh, Selmir uh, Miss. Mischich? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, but he's from Vermont. His parents uh, immigrated to the United States from Bosnia. He's an 03 starting with 
the uh, starting on the wing in the Union Academy. Uh, I don't think I don't know that he's ever played a game in the DA where he hasn't scored. Huh. Yeah, he's that prolific. Um, from what I've heard, the Union signed him to a contract at 15 because he had an offer on the table to join a, a pretty big club in Europe. I don't know if you know anything about that, Joey. I had not heard that. No, I had not heard that he had gotten contract offers. He does have Bosnian heritage. I do know that their national team has kind of hit him up for his, uh, you know, interest in 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 in, in their nation's uh, youth teams. Um, so obviously he's got the European passport, but I hadn't heard that European clubs were sniffing around him. So that's interesting. Um, I've seen a decent amount of him, and I'm still not sure which foot is his strong foot. <laughs> He scores pretty good, pretty nice goals with both. He loves to curl a shot in into the corner, into the, the far corner from the edge of the box. It's kind of his signature shot. Um, I think that he does have, you know, some room for improvement. Uh, and he and he is an O three, so I don't think he's a lock for for a roster like the the Nike friendlies. But I really. I was going to say, but you see him as strictly a winger and not a 10, because I had heard that he was more of a 10 yeah. player. Right. He's right. one of those players that, yeah, he's played at striker, he's played on the wing. I, I don't know, I haven't seen him play at, at the 10, but it wouldn't surprise me. He's pretty technical, so. Sure. Um, he's not super, you know, he's not inc- incredibly fast or anything, and, you know, that isn't necessarily telling at, at this level, but, um, the, the end all be all, I should say, but if you're not blowing past people, the U17 in in the U17 academy, you probably aren't going to be you know like a high end winger in the pro game. So maybe he does you know move inside that ten position. It's a position that I could totally see him playing. He had a big tournament in Italy uh, in the spring, yeah. didn't he? For the U15s, yeah, he, did. he did. And I I thought he played as the ten for them, but I can't I can't be sure. That's kind of why I said. I don't know. I don't remember what uh, position he played on the field. Okay. He was take. He took the free kicks and and the corners. He actually got an assist off of the corner in one of those games. I forget uh, who, who we were playing against. Cool. Another player uh, that I like to talk about is uh, Sam Sarver. He's a right winger uh, in the Crew Academy. He's splitting time between the Crew U uh, seventeen and U nineteens this season. Um, He's scored a lot of goals doing so. Uh, he was called up to the Crews uh, U17 uh, team uh, for the DA playoffs uh, this year hmm. and was probably the single most dangerous player on the field in their 3-3 tie with the Galaxy, um, which is something that kind of you know turns heads because that Galaxy U17 team is very good. Uh, right. Sarver's, he's, he's really fast, um, and he has the skill to beat pl- uh, defenders in a phone booth. Again, uh, if this was a 03 team, he'd probably be on my roster, but he may not be, you know, big enough yet to to beat to face some of the best uh, 02s in the world at the Nike Friendlies. Again, he's a guy that moved over from the Cleveland Internationals program to the Columbus Crew. So um, I love I love when those players kind of move up in in, uh, in the DA standing. So you, you you just never know where their where their height's going to be or where they're going to fall. So definitely a player I've got my eye on too. Yeah, and one last one would be uh, Julian Gaines. Uh, he's a winger with the Austin Bold. Uh, he was pretty involved. <laughs> he was pretty involved in the in this group's U uh, fifteen uh, cycle. Uh, he hasn't exactly had the output in the DA that the other players we're talking about here have, uh, but he doesn't exactly have uh, a great supporting cast either. 
Um, he's, go, he's going to be playing with the Austin Bold first team and to, at the start of the USL season, from what I understand. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if he works his way back into the U17 pool at some point. Okay. Man, I'm excited about uh, Mishik and uh, Sarver now. I want to see those guys play. Uh, the, one, the, the one last winger I, I thought we should bring up is Ray Serrano, who's one of the sure. many kids in Seattle. I personally haven't been super impressed with him, either for the U-17s or in USL where he got some run, but still very young. Uh, seems like a pretty technical, uh, creative type of player, just just kind of been getting blown off the ball every time I've turned on the TV. Right. So uh, He but, does have a knack for being in the right place at the right time, is one thing, a uh, good thing I'll say about him. But uh, yeah, I agree with you that... Um, he does kind of feel like the benefactor of the talent around him uh, more than being, you know, a legit top prospect like those players. Which is weird because he's been called up almost every single time there's been a U-17 camp for yeah. the last 12 months or maybe longer than that. Yeah, from from what I from what I I get feeling around on these things, we are very much out on the out in the cold and on Ray Serrano. You might be the, the two people that do not rate him because everybody else does. Well, let's check with our closest digital neighbor, Joey. What do you think of Ray Serrano? I, I really like him, and uh, not to you know uh, foreshadow things, but I think he's probably the, the starting winger on my team. That's why I'm glad he's uh, glad we didn't gloss over him because I needed to touch base. I do think he does a lot of good work. Um, you're, you're right; he does benefit from some prolific players around him. Um, and I guess that's my only concern. But I, again, I do know that Seattle rates him very highly and has really pushed him into some, um, you know, some 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 more difficult positions, um, both with his career and on the field. So, uh, you know, I just think he, he's good with the ball. I, fi- I find that he always finds like I don't know if you guys were saying it. I was reading something else, but he always finds himself in the right spot um, and, and really is uh, the benefactor of some of the goals and kind of just um, like I said, foreshadowing how I how I want to line up. I don't really see him as like a, a touchline type player, kind of a more of a tucked in winger for me. And with Bello and Scally and some of the fullback depth we have, I think we're going to want wingers that are kind of more, you know, uh, like to play inside versus more than get to the end line and get to the touchline and make crosses. So he's a player I think can fit the, the, the style and the template uh, for this pool uh, much better than some of the other players we've talked about so far. Okay. All right, let's try to buzz through the strikers as fast as we can because we're we're almost going to hit the two-hour mark here. Let's do it. Start with Griffin Yao, the kind of the hero in games against England and Brazil. In England a few weeks ago, he scored two goals and got an assist in those two games. I've heard a lot of good things about him, that he's left-footed and elusive. The, that he's left-footed is not a good thing I've heard about him. It's just a thing I know. But uh, <laughs> he's... He's, I've heard that he's elusive and um, is a good goal scorer. I have not seen him. I have not seen him play. So, what do you guys? What do you guys know about Griffin? Yeah, he, yeah. he's left-footed, but uh, you know he could shoot with both feet. He's not like left-footed in the way that you know Jordan Morris is one-footed, or even you know a player like Dante Matore who could use a right foot. Um, he, he's played mostly on the left wing when I've seen him. Uh, He's very fluid on the ball. He does a great job of opening up his hips to defenders to make his movement less predictable, um, which is, you know, like kind of 
something that you, you very rarely see at the level that Griffin Yao has been playing at. Um, you know, so those are pluses. I think that he has that he's you know solidly a part of this team. Yeah, for me, I've always heard him on the wing. I do know that he recently made the uh, the move from uh, the U seven DC United U seventeen to their U nineteen. So he's definitely an informed player that I could see getting a call up to the the Nike friendlies. Um, um, but again, I, I I've always heard of him was more of a winger than a striker. Um, but definitely, uh, again, a guy that's uh, a rapidly rising player in the, the U.S. ranks. Okay, Ricardo Pepe, he's at FC Dallas, uh, won the decisive penalty in the U-17s, went over Brazil last month. Uh, Scally took it, and which is kind of interesting that a right back would be the penalty taker. Um, I haven't seen Pepe play, but he is tearing up the U-17 Development Academy competition 18 goals and seven appearances so far this season uh those are sebastian soto like numbers what what do you guys know i know i know i know joey you don't you don't want to talk about u17s who are playing at the u17 level but he's my one exception okay yeah tell me more yeah he, he, he he's he's really good um and it's not just the goals but he's he is if we're looking for a pure nine i think that the, he's the guy um, more so than any of the other guys we'll talk about um, as, as the prototypical nine. Uh, I, I can't imagine he'll be playing at the U17 level very much longer. Um, but he's six foot three, six foot four. I mean, he's, he's a big kid um, and, and very good with his feet. Um, I do know that he's um, been into multiple Mexican youth national team camps too. So he's very much one of the players um, that, that's uh, being torn back and forth between the U.S. and Mexico. Um, and if U.S. really wants to stake its claim on him, um, you know, giving him the, the 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 target forward, the starting striker role, uh, might really resonate with him. But um, but yeah, he he's very impressive. Uh, again, like Matt said, with uh, I think it was uh, Misic that uh, I think any game that he's played in, he scored in. Um, and again, he's playing at players that are much lower level than he is with the FC Dallas U17s right now. Um, but it seems like whenever he even plays at the international level, whether that's for Mexico, which he scored a number of goals in some of their matches, or, or the United States, he always seems to find the score sheet, which is what you want from a nine. Uh, so uh, if we're looking at actually true nines, I think he's probably my guy. Okay. Hey, I think he played, he was a, I had him listed in you know my personal database as a midfielder up until, you know, like a little while ago. So I think that, he was he was a, he's a midfielder that got moved to striker probably because he just had a growth spurt. You know that probably is a good good uh, omen for you know, how good he is with his feet. Yeah, well that's great. I mean when you see he's he's way out ahead as the leading goal scorer in the nation in the DA right now at his age level. Um, so that's that's always going to catch the eye. I do I do feel like every time there's a legit battle between the Me- Mexico the Mexican Federation and the U S Federation for a player that we are going to lose that battle. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, the New York times actually did a piece, um, on, I think it was, I think it was like two, two years ago now on, um, you know, the battle between Mexican and American, you know, uh, battle between our two countries for uh, soccer players. And he was one of the players that was featured in that article. Uh, so. I remember that article now that you mention it. And I, Yeah. Well, I really appreciate in your last couple of interviews, Adam, asking guys like Mendez and Ledesma, what what could what could the U.S. do to change that that tone, or what kind of message could we portray 
um, that will shift that tide to where players are actively, you know, I know, I know obviously Mendes and Ledesma like bleed, you know, the United States when they represent the crest, but what can we do so that they're not getting kind of the flack from their friends or their family that want them to play for Mexico? And again, I, I think that the, the, it's the same answer. We just got to continue to give, um, if deserved, those kind of players the opportunity. And so a guy like Pepe, I think, has deserved the chance to play with the U-17s. I just hope that um, he, he gets that chance. Um, again, he doesn't deserve it over anybody else because uh, we're trying to recruit over Mexico right now. But I think his, his numbers and his production when we've when he's been played at this level speak for themselves. So um, definitely a player I'm hoping to see at the Nike friendlies for the United States for sure. The thing, the thing I want those kids to say, you know, uh, like Richie and Alex, the thing I want to get in with the, into with them is the fact that there's never been a real U S Mexican American U S star, you know, star. and yeah, commercial star. I'm, 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 I asked that question hoping that someone will say something about that. They haven't, but I, but I can't help but see it that way myself. Like we just, we just need a star who's Hispanic for the U S men's national team. And I feel like that would more than anything change the dynamic. No offense to Joe Corona. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess Herc Gomez would be the closest thing, right? And he wasn't a real star. I love love Herc Gomez, but. And to be fair, there, there hasn't been any, there hasn't been any Mexican American that's made the jump down to Mexico and then a Mexican American L tree star either. So it's not like we've missed out on that. I mean, obviously, Jonathan Gonzalez can be that guy. Efra Alvarez projects as a guy that could be in that category, too. Um, but we haven't, you know, it's not like we've missed out on one. But, I mean, I'm on record as saying we do a, a very poor job of integrating those players, and we need to do a better job of integrating and making sure that, um, you know, they, they, they feel comfortable playing in our, our federation. And I feel like that's not often the case, is that they often feel the tug of their family and their friends um, to, to play for El Tree. And you're right, until, until we have somebody break through those ranks, I think it's going to continue uh, to always sway into in, in the south of our border. I, I guess I just think, like, if Richie, best case scenario, if Richie ends up, you know, breaking through in a big way at PSV and is like a Irving Lozano-type talent, which is obviously what PSV is hoping he becomes, you know, um, then five years from now, will the next will the next group of family and friends tease their their kid in the same way when they've when they see the example of Ledesma, you know, on their TV in the World Cup? Sure. Maybe they would. Maybe they still will. But I think it would be it would something would be it a little different. Wouldn't. <laughs> right? It won't. It wouldn't hurt. It'd be an easier sell. Yeah. All right. All right. So the next striker is another another kid in this roughly the same category. Sahir Arce. He's 16 and he scored I think eight goals and 10 appearances for Monarchas Morelia. They're U17s. That's a Liga MX club. A pretty decent one. I I haven't looked at the table today, but he scored on Saturday a thumping left-footed strike from a poor angle and he got to play in the has a left-footed cannon got to play with the U17s uh I believe in Mexico City and in England uh a few weeks ago. Do you guys have a read on him that you want to share? He reminds me of this is going to be kind of a pullback for our long-term listeners but 
He reminds me of Daniel Cuevas. He was a Mexican-American that played for the Santos Laguna Academy back in 2013 for our U20s and U17s. He's from Northern California. Very much a left-footed player, um, uh, not particularly uh, tall in stature, but just kind of tough to knock off the ball. Um, Again, I'm not sure if Arce projects as a striker or more of a winger. Um, I always kind of saw him with like Griffin Yao as more of a left-sided player. Um, mm-hmm. um, but he's definitely got, he's definitely got a scoring prowess to him. Um, but, um, yeah, I don't, he's very much been in the plans for the U 17s over the last couple months. So, um, well, you know, he's, and he's continuing to progress at a good club like Morelia. So I'm not sure where he's from in, in the United States originally. Um, cause, uh, I've always, I mean, he's obviously only been called up while he's been at Morelia. Um, do, do either one of you have any insight of to where he's from? I want to say Arizona, but I could. It's entirely okay. possible that he's somebody. I think I feel like he was born in Texas, but I don't quote me on that. And now, but has lived most of his life in Mexico. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he I was called up. Enough. He was called up because his birthplace was identified by Dave Marino Notchison on Big <laughs> Soccer. <laughs> of course he was. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it couldn't have been a coincidence. It was like a month after he was, uh, after, uh, Dave ID'd him. Um, the legend. So Tyler Freeman, all yours, Joey. Yeah. Freeman's a, uh, lanky, uh, attacking player played a lot for the K- sporting Kansas city, uh, U 17 side in their DA playoffs. I got a lot. I got to watch every one of his games last year. Kind of came off the bench for the, U-17s playing up with them last year um, and then signed a homegrown contract a, f- a few months ago. Um, again, uh, he's, he's good with both of his feet. Um, he can be a little awkward at times just because I, I think he's still growing into his body. Um, but um, he's been prolific at the DA, even playing up a few years, and then got called into the Four Nations tournament, um, I believe, a few months ago for the United States is the only 2003. And at the time, was the only 2003 to get called up into the 2000 to pool for this uh, roster. And since I think Cuevas and Tate Cowell and a few other O3s, I think I've made the jump, but um, he's obviously a player that the U S sees as a, a, a person who can uh, play up this age level. Um, and I do think he, he projects as kind of a, a striker, um, uh, not just because of his size, but because again, I do think he's good at holding the ball up. Um, I just think he needs to grow into his body a little bit and add a little bit more weight at this point. Yeah. I haven't seen a ton of Freeman and uh, him, him getting signed as a homegrown player was a little confusing because he hasn't, uh, he hasn't scored <laughs> for the, for the, in the uh, SKC Academy. I think he has like four goals and something around 25 games, which, you know, for a player that you're looking to give a homegrown contract and definitely projects as a striker probably isn't what you, what you got to see. But it sounds like the issue is that he just doesn't, he hasn't, he hasn't grown into his frame yet. Yeah, and I, I do think he, I do think he's constantly being pushed up in ages, and so I do think if he were to spend any time like Pepe uh, playing against uh, Pierce his age, I do think he would be you know a, a multiple goal per game type player uh, from what I've seen for him. But he's because of his size, I think he's being pushed further and further up their uh, their youth ranks, and uh, and again, that's something I'm all for, and I think that Sporting Kansas City does on the regular basis is put their young players up in age. I think when we did the DA preview, you said that uh, Freeman is "quote unquote" goofy with the ball at his feet. Yeah, <laughs> which, I, I don't want to paint him with the same brush. But which, well, yeah, 
Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to paint you painting him with the same brush either, <laughs> but, but, um, it's like, I, that's what always comes to my mind when I, when I hear his name, I'm like, oh yeah, that's the, um, that's the goofy, that's the goofy one. <laughs> But that's not watch, that's not watch, fair to Tyler. Watch him turn into be our best our best national team dribbler in six years, and he just get lambasted by you. I hope he does. And we're just watching play. But yeah, me too. They're gonna play a clip of this podcast in an Adidas commercial. <laughs> <laughs> I would only be so honored. Uh, <laughs> one more player who hasn't quite grown into his body is Diego Lopez, tall, rangy, hardworking striker. Definitely a striker. I think he's like six three now. And uh, he he was definitely in the mix during the Nike friendlies last year. Seems to have fallen out of favor a little bit. Worth mentioning him because I was impressed with his work rate and just you know just sort of his grit and his frame in those games. He scored the decisive goal, the goal that tied it against Brazil in that sort of exciting draw we had with them. He reminded me a lot of uh, Brandon Vasquez. You know, when I watched him, who's on the same team as he is, he's he's a better finisher than Vasquez was at this age. Um, mm. But, you know, he, he's definitely a good player. Uh, I wouldn't mind, you know, having him as one of the strikers on any given U17 roster. But I think I'd personally prefer a more mobile striker, given that we probably aren't going to have super quick uh, wingers this cycle to get down the wings and put balls into him. No, that's a good point. Okay, Twitter. Yeah, I, Go ahead. Sorry, Joey. Well, I, was just say, I do hope he continues to progress with Atlanta's USL side. I think that'll do him a lot of good uh, playing against, uh, you know, o- older guys and, re- and really uh, growing into kind of what he can do with his body. So, yeah, he's in a good spot to grow Very and good get spot. better. Question from Hospital Ball on Twitter, a uh, fun Twitter account. Where's Toure in the pecking order? He's kind of the last striker we haven't talked about. Take it away, Matt Hartman. I really liked Don Tumatore's game, and I hate to talk about him you know, in, in the past uh, present, uh, past tense like that, but he is currently out with, a, with an ACL injury. Um, it does sound like he's going to miss you know, most of next year uh, in addition to the time that he's already missed this season, which is a real bummer because... He, w- he would have been the starting striker. He's first of all, let, let's get out of the way that he's an 04. So the you know where t- the kids we're talking about in the, in these this age group are 02s and you know 03s might be able to to push a little uh, into this group a little more. But most of the 02s and 03s aren't starting on U19 teams, let alone a team as good as the Red Bulls U19 team. Torre would have started with the Red Bulls U19 team at striker, um, and he probably would have been in the Red Bulls uh, USL plans uh, yeah. next season had he not gotten hurt. So him getting hurt and you know having such a serious injury is a real bummer. If he hadn't gotten hurt, I think that he's f- firmly in the in the U seventeen you know striker depth chart and perhaps even starting by the time by the time we get to something like World Cup qualifying. I would agree. I think Toure is. When, when you guys, when you and Greg would talk about lottery tickets, I think that Toure was maybe one of the best lottery tickets the U.S. had this time last year, um, just at, at, at his age and where he was playing. And so him going down with an injury really is just, 
devastating, especially when you start to think about who else is injured, a guy like Moses Nyman, another guy with such high potential. Just knowing those guys are injury prone is just, it just is really tough um, at the youth team level. Uh, I was talking to Toure the other day, and he said he'd be back uh, running in about a month. And so take that for what it's worth. But um, he says that's where he's at. I know Matt's more plugged in with, with uh, where his club situation is with than I am. But, um, yeah, I mean, those ACLs, you, you just, you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things you just never know if the player is going to be the player they were after they had that kind of surgery. So it'll be tough. He's got, he's got youth on his side. Uh, you know, he's only 14 years old. So, I mean, he's got plenty of years to figure out how to deal with that kind of injury. But I agree with Matt. He would probably have been a top two striker when healthy in this pool and maybe even the starting striker, uh, depending on kind of what you were looking for. But definitely uh, definitely one to follow because, again, he's he's still so young. But it's, it's pretty pretty heartbreaking for him. And just to you know get into his game a little bit, he has he has an absolute cannon of a left foot. His left foot, you know, is in general is just is is insane. You know, he, the way that he he can dribble and whatnot. He he's he's a ridiculous athlete, um, and not a ridiculous athlete in the way that like you know uh, Io Akinola is a ridiculous athlete. Ah, good. I you, I was I was trying to think of an example right. too. Yeah, yeah. Not, not a ridiculous athlete in the way that. Io is more a ridiculous athlete in the way that Alfonso Davies is. Uh, he, you know, he his movement is never panicked. You know, every all it, his burst athleticism is is so good, uh, and his his positioning. You know, he's been playing striker for a while now, and his positioning in that position, you know, with uh, with PDA was better than a lot of a lot of pro strikers that you see. You know, not to throw some shade on the U.S. Uh, striker pool, but yeah, he's a throw shade. He's a, throw shade. It's a real bummer that he went down with an injury. It's probably mm-hmm. the, the saddest I've been in this calendar year was when I learned that he had tore his ACL. He is eligible for the 2021 U17 roster, so there's time. But it is tough. It's gonna be tough to get regain that form, that his pace and athletic ability, knowing that he's maybe never gonna 100% trust that knee. Ah, all the best to you, Don Tuma. Let's hope he has a full and speedy recovery. Let's come back in a second, and we're going to give our uh, starting 11s. Okay, we're back. Let's do our starting 11s. How you guys want to do this? Should we start with goalkeeper? That's an easy one, right? <laughs> yeah. I think that... Uh, is there any... Do, or will either of you not say loss uh, for this? No, I say loss. Nope. Has, has to be loss. Okay, and then maybe we'll just go through the ones where we probably agree. The fullbacks. Uh, does anybody disagree with Bello and Scally? That that'd be who I had. If if I could see Bello maybe not not getting called up only because of his commitments. Not that uh, you know he'll he'll still be doing stuff with Atlanta maybe. But if he does stay with Atlanta or or take this tournament off, 
I think uh, Kobe Hernandez will be the left back for the team. Okay, yeah, agreed there. Center backs, why don't you go first, Joey? Uh, I'll go. I'll, I'll. I think Mason Judge will make the trip back from Germany, and I do. I'm going to take Casey Walls from San Jose. Those would be my starting center backs. Okay. What about you, Matt? Oh, I'm super excited to see Walls now. I haven't seen. I haven't gotten to see any of him play yet. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm going to keep it boring and go uh, Mason Judge and Axel Alejandre. They've been the starters for more or less this entire cycle. I think that there are players that I, I'd really like to see uh, in uh, Gus K and Bayer, but don't see them supplanting them for the Nike friendlies. Okay. Or not? you don't see them supplanting them for the World Cup either? Or that's a totally different question. Yeah, the World Cup is very far away, especially in the worlds of center-back. Um, I still wouldn't bet against Judge and Alejandre, though. Okay. I, was, I have uh, Judge and Alejandre down here too but i i'm excited to see walls and maybe buyer um when the chance arises central midfield we'll just take it in a in a trio so matt why don't you go first yeah my central midfield is going to be um uh tavon gray at the six uh gilbert fuentes in you know a six eight role depending on what formation we play and uh gianluca busio at the 10 Okay, I'm going with Gray only because you because you tell me to, Matt. <laughs> uh, with a great deal of reluctance, am I leaving uh, Atencio on the bench, Joshua Atencio? And the, but then I'll take Robles as my my box to box guy, and uh, and then Busio at the ten. Joey. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna keep Robles at the eight, but I'm actually gonna take Peter Stroud at the six, and then my number ten is Giovanni Reina. Okay, Busio to the bench or perhaps to the wing. We'll see. I'll <laughs> I'll uh, I'll do the front three first. I'm gonna say Reina on the left wing, uh, Alfonso Campo Chavez on the right wing, and Griffin Yao at striker. Not gonna die for it. That's just what I'm saying right now. Why don't you go next, Joey? I'll take Busio on the right, Serrano on the left, and Alfonso Campo Chavez at the nine. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the more or less the same with the same wingers that you had. I'm gonna go with um, with Reina on the left, Ocampo Chavez on the right. I'm gonna go with Ricardo Pepe up top. Okay. I can't wait to see Pepe. Hopefully he gets called up for these friendlies. Seems he would. Any closing thoughts, guys? Perhaps we should we should we should say at uh go with who 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 do we think is gonna be the coach? Because <laughs> this team doesn't have a coach right now. Um seems like uh the U sixteen coach whose name I'm blanking on right now. Sean Tazarkis, he's the guy from uh, San Jose De Anza. Securus, yeah. I think he's a very good coach and a guy that a lot of people respect when I talk to um, people in these circles. I mean, I would like somebody like Pilkington or Clyburn or maybe even Hugo Perez to get that role. Um, but let's be honest, when the U.S. hires a coach, it's usually within its own close fraternity, and um, none of those three are really in that fraternity right now. 
And so um, I think it'll be, um, you said Sarkez, is that how you pronounce it? Sakiris. Sakiris. <laughs> Sorry. Well, let me let me ask the question from Twitter. Enabong Ephraim asks, who should be or who would you like to see as the next U17 coach? It sounds like Joey's answer is Sakiris is fine. Be nice if it was Brian Kleiman or uh, is it what's Pilkington's first name at NYC? Matt. Matt Pilkington. Is it Matt? Yeah, Matt Pilkington. I mean, Hugo I'm, Perez would be my my answer if I were to okay. pick. If I were to get anybody, I just the way that he played with the U15s or when he had the 99s playing was unbelievable. When I would catch some of that footage, and so I think he would do wonders with with this with the kind of resources we develop we pour into the U17s. Um, but I, I just, I know that's not going to happen. He's, you know, c- kind of on the outside looking in with the Federation right now, unfortunately. And so, um, that, that won't happen, but that would be who I would select. I think that would be the best case scenario. Matt, do, yeah, you, have, do uh, you have any ideas? I'm going to defer to you guys, but who do you think should be the coach? Yeah. I mean, there are, there are a bunch of good, you know, coaches around the FA, but like Joey said, uh, U.S. soccer is going to hire U.S. soccer people for this stuff. And, you know, if it took us, if it's taking us, I have to say, because it still hasn't happened yet, this long <laughs> to get a senior national team coach, I'm not uh, optimistic that a U-17 coach is getting hired anytime soon. Right. Yeah. I have a pretty limited imagination about this stuff. I'm like, well, Brian Clavin, just make Brian Clavin the coach of the U-17s uh, or the U-20s, whatever, whichever one is yeah, more I mean, palatable. It's see. maybe not imaginative, but it's not a bad idea either. Yeah. It's a great idea. Let's I see. do wonder about what his long-term aspirations are. You know, If he wants to be the head coach of a, of a club, um, what gets in there faster? Staying with the Galaxy and cutting his teeth in the MLS world, Academy world, or getting a youth national team job? Um, and I guess Hackworth went from the U17 gig to a USL gig, so I guess that's a a known pathway, but it just seems like uh, U.S. soccer is going to keep this very, you know, like like Matt said, in house and a little bit bland, not outside the box. And um, yeah, we'll we'll kind of see. I don't, like like Matt said, I don't think this will be a, a announcement they make with Burhalter or whoever the coach is for the U, U men's team. It seems like it doesn't at this point. It sort of start to seem like Sakiris is just going to be the coach. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I think he's got the respect of a lot of the other uh, DA coaches. I, I know a lot of those guys think highly of him. Uh, so it's that wouldn't be a bad hire. Um, but I don't think that'd be the, the first, you know, name choice of names uh, a year ago before he took a, over this post interim-wise or, you know, for the last couple camps. I don't think that he would have been the first name everybody talked about. Um, but he's a guy that, uh, you know, a lot of people respect. And uh, I know he he's very... Um, um, much, uh, you know, he looks outside MLS academies for, for prospects. So it's not like he's closed minded in that regard either. So he'd be a good hire, you know, not my choice, but he'd be a really good hire. Okay. Um, Zachary Jordan on Twitter asks anyone outside the U 17 team right now that deserves a look. And I'm just going to say, we've given you like 450,000 names of people outside (laughs) the 17 team right now that deserve a look but i do want to acknowledge the question thank you good question i think we gave a lot of answers to it uh and i mean the answer to that question is yes i just don't know what their name is (laughs) yeah 
Yeah, there are people outside the U-17 team right now who deserve a look, and there are people we've never heard of who deserve a look, right? Yeah. Leanne Kansan, American Aussie, a great Twitter account, great American soccer Twitter account, says who's in a good spot for his development right now and who would most benefit from a move. Maybe could you guys just pick one for each category? Um, there's there are a lot who are in a good spot, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I'll I'll just pick out uh, Atencio as somebody who's in a who's in a good spot. Um, you have a Seattle team that could maybe use a defensive midfielder in a couple of years. He has a clear pathway uh, to that team, and uh, Garth Lagerway is definitely committed to bringing you know players through the academy. So I, I, th- I mean, it applies to, to all of the Seattle guys, but I think Atencio in particular is in a pretty good spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my answer to that question is the exact same answer, except I would say Robles in that regard. I think he's in a good spot to really make that jump because I think they see him making that jump here soon. Yeah, uh, for a guy, yeah, definitely gonna do it sooner than Atencio is. Yeah, I would. I would think so. Um, my guy who could use a move. Um, would be Alejandre from FC United. Again, not that and not that uh, FC United's a bad club. I think they do a really good job of producing talent, but I think that if he's going to be our starting center back at the U17 level up into the World Cup, um, he would benefit from being in uh, an environment with a professional academy, whether that's abroad or that's in America. I think he needs a, a direct route to professional minutes. So that he would be my answer for that question. Okay. I'm going to play, I'm going to cater directly to Leanne and say a guy in a good spot for his development right now is Gianluca Busio. I guess I have my doubts that he would, that, that it would be a good spot for him at Sporting Casey. It's turned out to be a good spot. He's, he's been, he's been brought into the first team at what seems like a really good pace and, uh, you know, up through the USL ranks with Swell Park Rangers. So that's, seems like it's been a good spot for him. Who would most benefit from a move? Um, I guess I'm going to be a little flippant and say Giovanni Reina. He he would benefit from a move to Dortmund. <laughs> Co-signed. Uh, I guess I'll say that uh, I'll answer that question with anybody who's currently playing with the LA Galaxy Academy. Because <laughs> uh-huh. until they until they can prove to these kids that they're gonna. Um, bring them through into the first team there's no reason for any of these kids to say as good to stay as good as i as much as i appreciate what they're doing for the national teams at the youth level yeah i was gonna say yeah it's a good answer but i was gonna say maybe players at the galaxy are in exactly the right spot because they know they're not gonna get signed (laughs) and (laughs) and they they can play for a a really good academy and then get some usl minutes and then sign with the club in germany when they turn 18 yeah, I guess like I, I don't see how, like thinking about like you know these teams that do play you know that do play the kids thinking about if Efra Alvarez was in their academy even if it was a team like the Red Bulls who finished who won the supporter shield would he have gotten minutes with their first team this year and the the answer uh, you know might be yes but it definitely wasn't going to happen with the Galaxy. Yeah, man, Alvarez would have totally played for the Red Bulls. He would have gotten some minutes. I mean, Ben Ben freaking Mines got minutes, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. He would have got minutes with the Rebels. I I 
the only club that he wouldn't get minutes for is the Galaxy, which is so depressing. Exactly. Okay. Uh, Mike Bernstein on Twitter asks, what are the markers, criteria we should be identifying and prioritizing to determine whether this cycle is objectively superior to the ones that came before it? Youth tournament results? Number and prominence of signings with big European leagues? Other? How do we weight that? This is a very good question and probably somewhat difficult to answer. So I'll one ask you, Joey. Have, this is probably one we should have answered not two hours and whatever minutes into this <laughs> podcast and not at 12 p.m. Central Time or 12 a.m. Central Time and 1 a.m. where Matt is. But yeah, um, Matt has to go to work in a few minutes here. <laughs> uh, my answer would definitely not be youth tournament results. Um, it was very impressive what the U-17s did in the World Cup in India last, last cycle. Uh, but really, those results have no bearing. I would say how many of these players can directly um, you know, parlay these this the this opportunity into professional opportunities, whether that's professional minutes um, or or just opportunities to play in a professional environment. That would be my answer. And again, this country is set up more so in in this cycle than it has been in any other cycle to give those players the opportunity. So, the more players we can get in. Um, training with the first team uh, of the of their club is 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 all the better. Yeah, I, I'm thinking we can't know really whether this cycle is, is objectively superior to the ones that came before it until like five years from now. And, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the answer. Wait five years. Yeah. For t- I wish there was a metric that could you know tell you that. Well, I mean, p- players. I feel like players playing in Champions League. Uh, is a good, is a decent metric. I know metric is going to be perfect, but yeah, with with Pulisic and McKenney, you know, we're not going to get into what kinds of players they are. But with Pulisic and McKenney, we had two twenty-year-olds playing Champions League soccer last week, and um, that's unprecedented. It's not unprecedented for us to have two players playing in the Champions League. It's unprecedented for us to have two twenty-year-olds playing in the Champions League. And so, you know, if we can turn out two or three players in every U17 cycle who who are playing in the Champions League in their early 20s, then it's subje- it's objectively superior every cycle than to all the cycles that preceded Pulisic and McKinney. That's how I look at it. I think that you could even filter that down to even the U19 Champions League. We've had more players play in the youth Champions League than we have in the past, and I think that's a telling statement that other top clubs in Europe rate our youth and are willing to go get it um, and put it on their squads for the for that tournament because um, there are some high quality games there and uh, there's some big scouts that are keeping their eyes on some of those youth youth Champions League games. So um, if we can get our better players over to that tournament too at an 18, 17, 18 year old range, then then all the better. Yeah, those games are intense. Those UEFA Youth yeah. League games. It's great for the players. Matt, do you want to take a swing at that question, or I'd say that you know that there isn't that single that there isn't you know even a couple you know markers or criteria you could you could look at that will tell you you know in the immediate future how good this U seventeen team will be compared to the other ones, especially since you know by the time this U seventeen team's U uh, twenty cycle rolls around, there's probably going to be like four or five players in this team that you know we didn't even list today. You know, like like Richie Ledesma was uh, with with the last cycle. 
I'd just say, you know, like the 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 obvious answer I think is the number of these players that are playing prof- that are on professional squads in professional eight teams by you know this time next cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's definitely higher, isn't it? This this cycle compared yeah. to the last one and Yeah, and that that is kind of directly a response to the closing of Bradington, I think. I think there were six players on last the last U seventeen roster that had homegrown contracts by the time the World Cup rolled around. And by my count we have I guess for MLS homegrown contracts, so we have three on this roster. Three Bello, Scali, yeah. Busio. But there, oh, there and, are, and there are a lot of, So there's four. Yeah, but there are a lot of players in this in this group that yeah. have homegrown contracts that aren't necessarily in the roster. Sure. Know. Sure. Yeah. Next question is uh, from Total Soccer Show, Daryl at the Total Soccer Show. What are the main differences between this group and the two thousand seventeen World Cup group? Um, I would say the main difference is there's no Josh Sargent and our fullbacks are amazing. Way better. It's just the biggest difference is where the the premium players are playing. Fullback and goalkeeper, essentially, right? Right. I mean, I I rate Gio Reyna as well, but he doesn't, you know, I don't want to (laughs) say... That he's that we have a, a prime player at striker when you know we don't even know if he'll ever play there. I don't. It's just hard to pin down his position right now. Um, has anyone conspicuously turned down domestic contract offers? This from Wonderkin, an, another good American soccer Twitter account. Yeah, I don't know of anybody that of any kids that we listed that. Um, that have been offered contracts that haven't accepted them, but I I would wager a lot of money that the Chicago Fire have offered a, a homegrown contract to Damian Loss, uh, and he has not uh, signed one yet. Yeah, from the players we talked about, I'm not aware of any, and I, I would imagine Reyna would have been offered one too. Uh, that a pretty obvious answer, um, but um, yeah, usually, yeah. Yeah, I know a lot of O1s that have turned down MLS offers, but n- not really any O2s. Um, but I would imagine that those O2s are are on the cusp of getting some offers from their MLS sides. So, okay, how many of last year's Seattle Sounders U17s are going to make the first team in Seattle? That's a good question. I, I mean, if two made it, that'd be a huge hit rate, um, and I think there's multiple from that U17 side that have the opportunity or the, the potential to, to be professional players at some level. And so I, I think that two is probably a good marker to see if, uh, you know, if they can hit on two of those guys, that that'd be a pretty good success rate for their academy. If they can hit on two guys every two-year cycle, um, I think that's a success for, for any academy. Yeah, who would you say are the two most likely to to do so? Uh, Marlon Vargas and Alec Diaz. Be the two first names from the from Seattle. Yeah, I, I think Robles for sure. I think Robles is somebody that I think that they rate and I rate. And then between Atencio and Serrano or Vargas, I would say one of those two is probably the next best bet. Um, and then you're looking at guys like Ocampo Chavez, Blake Malone's a center back who's probably going to play college soccer, but he could be dominant there. Um, you know, number of guys. Alec Diaz is 
um, starting to, to come into his own at the USL level. So, um, again, there's, you know, there's, you know, a solid six to eight guys in their 2001, to, you know, 2000 to 2003 class that, um, you know, have, have significant potential in my eyes. So, um, I think, you know, if they can hit on two of those guys, that'd be a success. Azriel Gonzalez, another yeah, one. Yeah, I was just going to mention him. He's a very exciting player. I feel like yeah. any, anything less than two would be a big letdown, though, you know, given how, you know, how much opportunity they've given these guys, how well they've done at the, in the development academy. I know yeah. I get I get what you're saying that like two is an incredible hit rate for any academy. I have I don't disagree with that, but less than two, if it's only one of those guys who makes the first team, I think Mark Nichols would be disappointed. True, a, a lot a lot of the guys though that we listed, a lot of the attackers especially. Um, and again, I'm not a guy that's bet, you know caught up on size and strength, but you know you have to worry with guys like Diaz or Vargas Gonzalez. I mean they're not. They don't look pro-ready bodies right now, and that that shouldn't matter if you know they, they obviously they have very they're very skilled, but you do worry if a guy like that could really you know put in a whole MLS season with that you know at a 16, 17, 18 year old body type here right away, and so a lot of those guys I just don't think are you know ready made to jump into the team next year. Yeah, I think the question was specifically about last year's U uh, seventeen Sounders team. And thinking back to that that team, I think that you know the main one that you'd be looking for would be Marlon Vargas to break into the team, you know, somewhat soon. But I think that the current group of U17 Sounders are uh, in in a better place, to, you know, are farther along uh, to break into the Sounders first team than uh, last cycles were. I mean, a bunch of them are playing with the U19s. The yeah, a lot of team. a lot of the 2002s are playing up. I think Serrano's the only one playing with the U17s consistently. All the other O2s and O1s are playing, obviously, with the, the 19s. Robles has not played for the 17s. Compa Chavez has played two games for the U17s. Atencio's played two games for the U17s. They're all playing pretty much playing the 19s. So mostly O3s playing with the O3s um, or the U17s for Seattle right now. So How much of a, yeah, role, how much of a role did Robles play in that U, that championship-winning U17 side? Was he... He started... Yeah, he started a lot of those games, but he wasn't a focal point of their offense because he wasn't banging in 20 goals. But he had, I think he had somewhere in the range of five to 10 goals on that team off the top of my head. I mean, he, again, he was an instrumental player for that side um, from what I can remember. So that's why I was so confused he would never get call-ups to the U, to the U, U.S. side is because he was seemingly the guy that when, the, you know, Seattle does a really good job of writing up, uh, you know, reports on some of their DA games. Um, he was a guy that was always consistently set as one of the standout performers for them, but never really got the international accolades. So the Seattle quota was already met, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got two more questions. We, we, you guys both took a giant crap on the LA galaxy, which I appreciate. Um, <laughs> can you comment on the impact, if any, of a potential Dennis DeClosa to galaxy move? Thanks. That's from JP at Cloud Overhead on Twitter. Dennis DeClosa, for context, is the current um, technical director for the Mexican Federation, right? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Well, I think that, that if they were to hire him in some kind of technical capacity, um, that would really signal the intent that they're uh, armed and ready to use their academy. Uh, DeClosa has been pretty close 
um, to a, a number of the leading youth programs in Mexico and helping them integrate some of their youth into their programs. So the fact that Galaxy were to make a splash in that role really would signal that they're ready to incorporate their academy more. That 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 would that that would that hire would specifically say that to me. They're not just bringing them on to help him help them recruit Mexican talent. They're they're looking to cultivate the ones they already have and really integrate them into their first team. So that that would be a very exciting move and uh, would be a big a big uh, diversion from where they usually are. And I think that would mean that. Uh, they're going to hire a South American coach, somebody outside the MLS circles, which again I think would be exciting for the Galaxy. Yeah, I'd be excited about it if only so that he's not at the FMF anymore, <laughs> <laughs> because uh, he's been pretty instrumental. He was uh, instrumental in uh, Jonathan, Jonathan Gonzalez heading over to the Mexican Federation. So we don't need him talking to the next uh, dual national. Yeah, he seems like. Uh, it'd be fascinating to know more about him than I do, but he, what little I do know, he seems like a very smooth operator who uh, yeah. knows how to get what he wants and do it in a way that makes the people he's getting it from feel good about it because yeah. Jonathan Gonzalez he's, seems to feel very good about his decision. He's super highly regarded, but like you, I, I just don't know too much about it personally, about his situation personally. Yeah, I think it'd be cool. I think it'd be cool if Tecloso went to Galaxy for the reasons you guys said. Uh, more the reasons Joey mentioned than the reason Matt did. But, um, uh, yeah, I th- I'd love to see the Galaxy be uh, a talent factory that is that is uh, moving players up through the, the academy into that first team. They have, they're sitting on, with all due respect to Dallas and New York, the best talent pool in the whole country. So, um, disgruntled USMNT blogger writes uh, our last question, which is, I think for Joey, what is the story with Zuzu? That's Zuzu John Hilton, a uh, much talked about youth prospect. Joey is on record as saying he rates him higher than any youth player in our pool anywhere, but he's just adrift without a club. That's Zuzu, not Joey. Why is <laughs> Why is he? Why is he not getting looks? Well, I talked to John a couple months ago and asked him the same question: if if the U.S. was um, still making the the or still reaching out to him, seeing if he was available, because he's a guy that would be playing up uh, years in the youth pool and uh, starting and seemingly dominating some of those games. Um, and again, like like you said, I, I I've seen him play in multiple tournaments for the u.s and for some clubs and uh as a right back he pretty much would dominate the game um since his failed move to ajax and in, in manchester city and there are some other clubs looking at him heavily um in 2014-15 uh, he's been kind of uh, a nomad in europe looking for clubs uh to play for um he was recently um on trial at psv uh last month um some people at psv have told me that that went well um uh, they're still unable to sign him until next June. Uh, so I, I think PSV's American ambitions still uh, rely heavily on Richie Ledesma, uh, getting him signed and sealed because that's not finalized at this point. But I think that PSV wants that to be done. Um, but there are some other clubs in Holland that are looking at him. Um, I don't know exactly which ones that is. Um, I, I'm sure Ajax is still heavily involved with his uh, recruitment, but um 
uh, I think he'll be staying in Holland, and I can imagine that um, over the next couple of months into 2019, uh, we'll get a lot more clarity on where he's going to go. And um, I just uh, I know that he has to work to regain some of the fitness and some of the edge that he had when he was, gosh, it sounds silly, but 13 and 14 years old. Um, but I think that uh, I think he um, would very much benefit from being in the the Dutch uh, uh, leagues. I think his his game would very much. Uh, a benefit from kind of a total football type of mentality uh, as a kind of a white right wing back type player. So um, definitely, uh, unfortunately, like some of the other guys we've talked about, uh, Toure and Nyman, uh, Hilton wasn't injured, but uh, just kind of a, a stunted growth kind of, uh, of situation. So again, he's young and has youth on his side and, and there's still plenty of European teams in Holland sniffing around him. So we should know more in a little while, but I think he's going to go back to to Holland here in, in a couple of weeks and uh, do a few more trials with some teams. When did you say he turns eighteen? June in two thousand nineteen. Okay. June something. Yeah. Which we should know makes him ineligible for this. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say he's not a uh, eligible for the two for the U seventeens this this roster. Come on, disc- those, disgruntled. Those... Stay on ta- stay on task here. Yeah, he is exciting. He is an exciting player. Okay, guys, thanks so much for taking the time to do this yeah it was my pleasure this was a lot of fun matt adam hey thanks for having me (laughs) (laughs) all right thanks everybody for listening we'll see ya